0: This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from AllComic.com, episode 113. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton.
1: And I'm Lam Ramayasha, and today it's time to do And there's no backing down. The heart of the cards is where magic is found. We've talked about the series before, but never quite this way. It's like an all-out rave with guests that are great. That's why we are talking about Yu-Gi-Oh! The king of gaming manga. Card gaming manga, that is. And we've got some great guests on to talk about it. We got... Letterer Brandon Bovey, a huge Yu-Gi-Oh! super fan, and we've got Jason Thompson, the original English editor for Yu-Gi-Oh! for Viz Media and Shonen Jump. And that is going to be an exciting conversation we had with these folks about three hours going over the entirety of the original 38-volume manga from its beginnings as not quite a card game, but a series of, like, crazy debt games to the final Millennium World arc. And then a ton of questions from you, the fans, as well on the series. So, ton of fun, and I'm super excited for you guys to listen to it. Yeah, I, I had a I
0: had a, a lot of fun uh with this conversation, uh especially as someone who uh the previous year was uh very adamant about uh reading all of it and recording about it. Uh I think the I think the conversation turned out really good. Um a, a, a part of me feels like we we may have jumped all over the place quite a lot, but it was it was still really fun. And you know, like it's one of those things where it's like it's such a long series, almost forty volumes, and there there were places while i was editing that i thought like oh man we could have expanded on this a little bit so you know it's one of those things where it's like we talked about as much as we could but i know there's like probably so much more we could have talked about i think we, we barely talked about kaiba
1: really i feel did we not spend time talking about kaiba we, we, we talked about him a little bit, but honestly,
0: I think we talked about Joey more.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to show some love to our Brooklyn Duckett yeah, team. I mean, uh,
0: in my heart, he's my favorite character, so, you know. Um, he's
1: got a good character arc.
0: And thankfully, we, we spent we some time talking about that, at least. Um, I don't know, maybe, may, maybe in the future... I want to talk about Yu Gi Oh so much. We'll do we'll do like a Manga Mavericks book club read through on it. I don't know.
1: It'd make a great series for a book club discussion because there is actually a lot of dense teams to unpack in the series. That would be great going volume by volume.
0: Mm-hmm. That's that that's definitely an idea. I can't I can't say that's going to happen like soon, but it, it's an idea. It might be worth uh, going back, but but for now, uh, I think listeners can look forward to our almost three-hour discussion on yugioh um no no news for this episode uh we're just gonna we're just gonna basically get right into the conversation so i hope everybody enjoys this one now let's see here all right uh how about this one?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow.
0: See down, see down, sit down, oh, oh. And they uh, hit me here. Let's, let's, uh, let's, let's try another
2: one.
0: Uh, oh, this, this one's always good.
2: another one. Uh no, this <laughs> this
0: <laughs> one's Never lose his honor like he's asked to come. Give me time. they Let's try something else. You know what? On second thought, let's start on some classics. There we go. All right, it is finally time. I I'm 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 so excited. I can't even speak. Um, so uh, we're finally gonna talk about Kazuki Takahashi's Yu-Gi-Oh. It is time to da 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 duel, <laughs> as the kids say. <laughs> um, and uh, we have some very special guests with us. And uh, first off, we have freelance letterer. He's he's worked for a couple of companies, not just Viz. Um, we have Brandon Bovia. How's it going? going great uh i'm really excited to have you on the show it's
3: great to be here
0: and uh up next we have a returning guest former editor for the viz monthly shonen jump uh the print shonen jump i should say and former editor of a lot of different series including the one we're going to be talking about today jason thompson
4: hello Hey! Thank you so much for having me on. No problem.
0: I, yeah. I was really I was really excited to have you back on, in particular, as well, Jason. Um, I I can't believe we've had you on the show at least twice in one year. That's uh, <laughs> that makes me very happy. Well, I uh, I love Yu-Gi-Oh, so I couldn't uh, I couldn't resist. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. So um, th- this was a series that uh, I have been wanting. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of go around the horn in just a second, but like I'm sure, like the rest of us like i've been a huge fan of this franchise for a long time and i just recently read through the entirety of the original manga for the first time it took me a little bit to uh to kind of buy all of it through the uh, through the 3 in 1s um, only, only to have it all available on the Show to Jump app a couple months later.
1: <laughs> I was oh going to ask you
3: about that. I, I felt a little bit bad. <laughs>
1: I love Jeff's tweet uh, recently where he was like, "It was hard to like watch you buy all this knowing that you were going to do the Show Jump vault," and I felt guilty about it.
0: <laughs> hey, um, Jeff, if you're listening, it's it's no problem. I, I I definitely do not regret sending Kazuki Takahashi all my money. So
4: <laughs> I mean, yeah, and I you can read them in the bath so you, you know that's 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 convenient exactly yeah
0: <laughs> um but uh yeah i mean i, I don't think yugioh ne- really needs too much of an introduction if, if you're listening to this you probably grew up on it you probably played the car game as a kid but i, I guess just to like give the very basic premise of Oh because i don't know how many people I'm, I'm sure more people nowadays are familiar with at least the first seven volumes of the manga or or I guess like what people would know as like season zero of like the anime or really that's what like the fandom calls it. But like
1: it's its own thing. It's not connected because the second series is a reboot of really much the whole thing incorporating the parts that are net really plot important from the first seven volumes into the dual monsters thing.
3: This is a uh, somewhat of a tangent. I, I know we're still in the introduction phase, but like, um, watching the first episode of the the anime, you know the one that we got that's more internationally known. Watching the first episode, having read the manga, is like how did they fit like this mishmash of like five different story arcs into like this one episode? And it's just like <laughs> it is somehow amazing and incoherent all at the same time, and like how how did this take off with a very <laughs> yeah i mean they
1: i think it's just the strength of kaiba as an antagonist that he is just so immediately interesting in how much of a jerk he is and just the cruelty of him ripping up yugi's uh, grandpa's blue-eyes white dragon and the satisfaction of him being defeated by exodia like i think that immediately hooked a lot of us from our kids it's very, very, just very, very simple conflict between yugi and kaiba in that first episode but it is super interesting how in that first episode the you know anime series we all watched as a kid like they combine both the first and second kaiba duels basically like elements from both of those which is really the most essential things they really need to do to set up both the idea of dual monsters and the storyline they're about to go into considering how essential kaiba was yeah I
0: mean, I, I'm sure we'll talk about it probably all throughout the discussion. But uh, as much as my feelings have changed since I've gone back to watching the Dual Monsters anime through Crunchyroll, and now that I've read through the original manga, I, even, I have even more thoughts. You know, as it stands, as like an adaptation, but like, but but I I will give the first episode of the anime this. Like, I I think they did a good job. Like all things considered,
3: yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That, it's not an easy thing to do to like introduce everything
1: (laughs) yeah watching as a kid it didn't feel a rush not having any awareness that it was adapting two different encounters with the with kaiba in the manga like it felt like a coherent 22 minute episode yeah and
4: the original anime series that's based on the beginning of the manga that's never been translated or released officially
1: no no no, not officially
3: it hasn't even had a japanese re-release to my knowledge like i think it's stuck on like vhs oh my
1: god (laughs) it's (laughs)
3: <laughs>
0: um, but anyway, so really the basic premise of Yu-Gi-Oh kind of starts off with, uh, with Yugi muto Moto? Muto. Yeah. <laughs> they mispronounce his name in the four kids stuff or whatever, so I'm used to calling him <laughs> Moto, but, uh, it's about Yu-Gi-Moto. He's a high schooler who loves games, is very timid, very shy, um, doesn't have a lot of self-esteem or confidence in the, in himself in the very beginning, he basically assembles what is called the Millennium Puzzle, which apparently, which I'm still surprised. It takes him eight years to put together. It must be a very hard <laughs> puzzle. Um, but yeah, essentially, after that, he he sort of unlocks the spirit of the puzzle, who is a a very vindictive, evil spirit who who uh, I, I as I like to put it, just likes to gamble. He likes to play games um, that involve a lot of death, and uh, b- basically is like sort of a uh, basically, his job is to, like, punish evil. And uh, from then on, like, because I think in the beginning, Yugi makes a wish. He basically wishes for friends, and he eventually makes friends with uh, with his uh, with his old bullies, Jonochi and uh, Honda. Uh, and then you have uh, Anzu, who's basically the, the girl of the group. And then from there, like, basically the beginning of, the, of, of Yu-Gi-Oh!, I think, as we'll kind of talk about here, is... One of the most interesting portions of the series because it's 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 in this time where D- Duel monsters gets introduced around volume two, but it doesn't become the gimmick or the mainstay of the series until about volume eight or so when uh, the Duelist Kingdom arc starts. Um, so, but basically, like th- the first seven volumes of Yu Gi Oh are, are like an excuse for Kazuki Takahashi to like you know. To, to explore like different kinds of games and stuff because Kazuki Takahashi is uh, what we would call a gamer, um, <laughs> not not in the traditional sense. He he's very much into stuff like you know mahjong, tabletop RPGs, trading card games, like you you name it. He he's probably into it. And uh, I I think one of the things uh, just just to kind of start off something I really enjoyed about reading the Yu Gi Oh manga was like. Um, and and I think this this goes back to like why I like stuff like um, say JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, which is something Kazuki Takahashi is very inspired by. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Especially when you get to Millennium World, and it's revealed that basically all the dual monsters that you've seen in the series, their origins were that basically they were the stands of these ancient Egyptians. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. There, there, there was a point yeah, where I was. Yeah. There was a point where I was reading that final arc and, and thinking, "Man, this is just Egyptian Jojo's bizarre adventure." This is part
4: three, <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and also, I mean, the character that you, the, the character that evil Yugi or Dark Yugi or Yami Yami Yugi has in the beginning, it's really a lot like the um, some of the gambling stories in Jojos, like uh, the Darby stuff from uh, yeah, season yeah. three of Jojos. It's extremely like that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep.
4: Like the you know the whole. Uh, oh, let's bet on whether, uh, you know, like the whole bet, let's bet on surface tension of the water, you know. <laughs> let's bet on, you know, whether I can play ice hockey with a, a frozen uh, block of nitroglycerin over, <laughs> uh, over a griddle. That's one of the really fun things about the beginning of the manga.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, I, I think something I find really interesting about the manga and uh, Kazuki Takahashi is just like, I love manga where, an author can incorporate all of their interests because i because i feel like Yu-Gi-Oh overall is basically just it it's it's basically just a manifestation of everything that kazuki takahashi likes and enjoys yeah and and i think mm. and uh i mean d- judging from like the afterword in uh in the final volume just to kind of jump ahead i i think you could even argue is uh Is a great reflection of, like, him as a person, which I think is really interesting and, like, what he values personally. Yes. uh, Which I find really interesting. But um, I guess before we get too much deeper into the discussion, I guess we we can kind of go around the horn and just talk about a relationship with this franchise. Um, So... I guess Brandon, do you want to start? Um I I hear I hear you're a fan of Yu-Gi-Oh. Is this true?
3: <laughs> yeah, I've I've heard of it. Uh I don't know. What am I even doing here, jeez? <laughs> uh yeah, but so as as an uh adult man in my mid 20s, uh you know, that means when the anime first started airing here, you know, I was a, a small little boy, you know, I caught it on TV. You know, instantly fell in love, started buying cards and, you know, all of that fun stuff. I don't think that particular part of my story is all that interesting. You know, I would say like how everybody got into it. Um, I think what might be different for me is... uh, I think being such a big fan of the anime while it was coming out, I had no idea that there was a, you know, like I didn't know what manga was... I didn't know that there were stories out there that were kind of, like, similar, but a little bit different to what I was used to watching on TV. Uh, And so I think Yu-Gi-Oh! might have been the second or third manga that I had started to collect. And it was through that, I think, basically, like, I want to say all of my interests could be traced back to Yu-Gi-Oh! I guess just sort of in the ways, like... um, since i'm a person who works in like the localization of manga um and the sort of like learning as uh a preteen and a teenager like you know picking up the original manga and going like hey like this is a little bit different than what i'm used to seeing on tv like it's a little bit bloodier they can say damn uh <laughs> they say kill all of the time and uh i guess just those sorts of like a translation, a localization, um, even honestly down to things like the lettering. Like really everything my like in my life as a localizer would I would not be where I am right now without Yu-Gi-Oh!. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. I guess is probably the best way I could put it. And of course, um, I, I still stick with the franchise to this day. I've seen most of the anime versions from beginning to end. Uh I've not seen I've not read every spin-off manga from beginning to end, but I'm like familiar with most of them. Uh so it, it's just sort of it's it's something I try to keep in mind, but it is a it is a franchise very near and dear to me in that I would not be the person I am today without it.
0: Awesome. Very cool, very cool. And uh I guess uh Jason as as someone who was um sort sort of responsible for helping bring over Yu-Gi-Oh, the manga to the West, uh I'm very curious to hear like about your relationship with the franchise.
4: So yeah, I, I was um, one of the editors at Viz uh, when I became aware of Yu Gi Oh, um, and uh, they, we were really we knew it was popular because all, I think I don't remember four kids had a, I don't remember what the status was, but it, it, it these were starting to be released in the U.S. already at that point, or we just knew it was about to be released and we like suspected it was going to be a hit because it had all this had all this uh, you know. All this marketing money behind it, and uh, so yeah, we so we initially were going to release it uh, separate from Shonen Jump, but that didn't work out for some reason. We did a test run, like we did like a test of like forty pages uh, before Shonen Jump, um, and I don't even remember. I don't even remember what in, that ended up happening to that. It was like this, this chapter where Yugi is releases Exodia uh, during the first, uh, the second battle with Kaiba, basically. But um, anyways, then uh, it was later decided, like, uh, within like a year or later, I forget exactly, that we would do it in Shonen Jump, which, of course, uh, was the perfect place for it. Um, And uh, I was, um, yeah, I was the original editor of the the Shonen Jump uh, English edition. And I really wanted to personally edit Yu-Gi-Oh! because, uh, you know, I'm I'm also a gamer. Um, I'm a a tabletop gamer. I love Dungeons and Dragons and and stuff like that and, uh, and board games and uh so yeah i wanted i wanted to, to like you know make sure that yugioh you know i wanted to make sure that it felt you know that it, like it, game terms were done appropriately and uh stuff like that but also it just is the kind of like really over the top shonen manga that i love um <laughs> so yeah um we ended up doing it in the i started i think starting with the very first issue of shonen jump and I was so glad that we that we got to do it from the very beginning. We didn't jump ahead to Duelist, you know? Uh, we didn't jump ahead to the Duelist Kingdom arc. And I honestly don't... I, I think that Shueisha was as much behind that as we were because they... Because, um, you yeah, know, Takahashi wanted the whole manga to be translated, and I think Shueisha did too, and, and we did too. And uh, so so it all... So, yeah, it, was, it, was, it came together perfectly. And, of course, we got to do a lot... Like you said, we got to do a lot of stuff in the... Um, you know we we got to make it more violent and less censored than the than the like the four kids anime yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. like I'm like reading through some of this stuff I'm I'm kind of shocked at like what wasn't censored <laughs> honestly
2: <laughs> yeah well, actually
4: yeah it really depends from um, it might change a little from volume to volume because there is some stuff that we'd censored and also like little little choices like um uh, like originally I could say like I could uh, you say damn in the manga. But, like, within a couple issues, because this is all happening. Everything is changing really rapidly at this at the time. Because um, the manga is under a lot more scrutiny. Because before that, it was mostly just sold in comic shops and, and, you know, the bookstores and didn't have as much. The distribution wasn't as wide. But now it's being sold by, like, Scholastic Book Club.
2: Mm-hmm. So
4: we had more requirements. So, like, so I couldn't say damn. I think it mean, may even be a bastard or two in the original a couple of chapters. And uh, yeah, and crap, crap had to go. I mean, but that's fine. You can still have a lot of imaginative swears, swears, yeah, without having to like do like some scan. You know, I, I. It always makes me laugh when I see like some. <clears throat> excuse me, when I see like some fan translators who are like having like characters in Dragon Ball say like "fuck you, you asshole," <laughs> <laughs> shit on that. You you know, like just because it's kuso cool, doesn't mean it has to be shit every time. Right? Yeah. 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 You know. But also more importantly than that, yeah, the violence and uh, all the all the stuff, talking about death and blood and stuff, and uh, that all got to stay, and that was just wonderful.
3: That was a very pivotal thing for me growing up, uh, like just sort of finding out, even even if it wasn't like the cursing in particular, you know, just uh, like finding out that there is this whole other version of Yu Gi Oh that's just like it's just a little bit, even even a lot of bit at times more like it can. It, it, the fact that it's allowed to go a little bit further than the anime on TV ever was was just, I think, sort of hugely influential to how I saw localization. Or, or I would even go to say, like, being introduced to the concept of localization growing up. Or even something as minor as the manga using, like, the Japanese names for a lot of the characters and stuff like yes. that. Yeah, 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 yeah.
4: And I'm really glad we could do that. Although, as you probably noticed, we did end up using, um, and I think that I actually. I think it was my decision, but we used the uh, card names that were the, the Konami uh, card names. Yeah, so yeah, like
1: Slifer the Sky Dragon instead of the original name Osiris the Sky Dragon. Yeah.
3: Was that a mandate from their side, from the like upper deck Konami side?
4: Well, I think I'm trying to remember, but I believe I actually kind of wanted the cards to use their names. I, but uh, but the, the time when I said that, when I said that in some meeting, I didn't realize how s- ridiculous some of their names were.
1: Slyther <laughs> <laughs> um, the Sky Dragon is literally named after a producer at Four Kids. <laughs>
4: yeah, the weird thing about that one is why did they feel the need to? Because I, I assume they changed it because maybe Osiris sounded too like religious or or like, I think so, yeah. But, or maybe they just wanted to, maybe it was this, stuff, they just wanted to put Slifer's name in there. Yeah, I
2: just wanted to give him a shout <laughs> out or something.
4: Like, well, you know, it could be raw. Slifer the Sun God, but let me make it Slifer the Sky Dragon.
0: I mean, at least the additions I have, I, I have the uh, the three in ones that were released uh, recently that, that collect the entirety of the series and don't have any of the uh, sort of arbitrary, like, um, uh d- divisions. And and I,
1: I I mean we were talking yeah. about it in our interview with Jason earlier this year, but one of the reasons they did split Yu-Gi-Oh! Historia initially was so that they could release more of it faster by having like No, two yeah, young boys I I, the don't, same I don't I,
0: I that that was that wasn't me, you know, uh disrespecting, you know, any decisions that were made. I totally I totally get like why those decisions were made, but but it but as a as a collector, it is kind of nice to just kind of have it all in one set. Or whatever, like I, I, I appreciate the consistency. Um, that that that's the angle I'm coming from here. Oh um, no,
4: I mean I don't, I, well, I don't care, I don't care, <laughs> I don't care either way. But, but, yeah, the three in ones are great. I love, I love omnibus editions. they such, mm-hmm. they're such a good value.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, huh. But uh, I, I was, I was gonna say, uh, they at least as far as I've read, like it's not like they completely omit the original name of the god card. Like you still see Osiris mentioned they in there. Sneak so.
1: in Osiris when they can. Yeah, when the context of it being. Uh, based on an actual god yeah. comes up, they can sneak that in. Yeah, that was actually yeah. a decision
3: I really enjoyed uh, as well growing up, because uh, oftentimes, yeah, in, in the manga, they'll do this thing where it's like, you know, I summon English card name comma Japanese card name, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, there it is. Like, <laughs> Without, you know, completely getting rid of that, but is also still sort of like, uh, I, I guess, sort of like brand consistent at the same time.
4: Yeah, um, I don't know if actually, you know, I only ha- I don't have all the omnibus editions. So, do they have the um, lists of cards in the back that show the Japanese name?
0: They do. Yeah, that's that's still kept.
3: Okay, good. Okay, that's really cool. Yeah, I loved that growing up.
0: Yeah, I I thought those were interesting.
4: Yeah, those were fun to do. I mean, they required a lot of. It's, I mean, it, we had to do a lot of digging to figure out whether some cards are real or not because <laughs> there's some cards uses that are just that aren't. Real or they, or or the the way they work. Of course, often the way they work in the game is very totally very different. Very different. Than the manga, you know, would <laughs> mm-hmm. be so re- insanely overpowered if they actually worked the way they do in the manga. Mm-hmm, for sure, yeah.
0: Um, but I guess was was there anything else you wanted to mention, Jason?
4: Oh, uh, yeah, not really. Yet. So I worked on, I, well, basically I edited all thirty-eight volumes of the original Oh, and I edited worked on Oh R. Um, which is, you know, like the Pegasus, the like sort of like the return of Pegasus, yeah, story. <laughs> basically. Um, although not
0: really, I've always seen that around, and I unfortunately I, I didn't get a chance to read it. That that might we, we might have to do a separate show on that one, maybe.
2: <laughs> uh, if
0: it warrants discussion, I don't know, I don't know if like I, I
4: don't know if it warrants that much discussion. Um, and I did a little bit of work on Yu Gi Oh! GX, um, and so I've looked, so yeah, for me, what I really, I really you know, I think the first original series is great. Um, and I don't really care so much about any of the spinoffs. Um, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, because I, I, I like the, I think the character arc that he does, that Takahashi has in, in Yu-Gi-Oh is, is one of the really great things. And I mean, and I just, I, I haven't stuck around any of the other series to, well enough to know if he does anything that interesting, but also to be honest, the world that he's built, he builds kind of gets a little away from me. It becomes increasingly like, uh, it becomes increasingly like everything in the world is about dual monsters. Yes,
3: yes. The whole society revolves around card games uh, and the whole universe um, revolves around card games. And it, it all starts to get a little bit ridiculous. And it's
1: not like that in the original series, even when it becomes about dual monsters. Like you have in Battle City just a short scene of like pedestrians running. Why are all these nerds yes. here <laughs> crowded around? No,
3: I love that moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what the hell are these people wearing?
0: Yeah, like, it it gets to the point where, um, in Dark Side of Dimensions, I'm pretty sure it's mentioned by Aigami near the beginning of the movie that, like, basically without a, without a deck of trading cards, you were not a resident of Domino City. (laughs) Because that's just how powerful Kaiba is at this point.
4: Gosh, I mean, I wonder if someone could do like this, like a Yu Gi Oh! Extended Universe thing where we watch how society changes over the hundred <laughs> yeah. years of Yu Gi Oh! The Yu Gi Oh! world, if at all, you know, I don't know. It's
1: solely due to the influence of Kaiba because he just has that much <laughs> yeah. uh, capital to change an entire city to bend to what he likes and then that much influence worldwide to make everyone else in the world obsessed with this game.
4: Maybe it's, it's a world without war, you know? It's like it's like some 1970s science fiction movie or something, you know. <laughs> I mean,
1: that is Kaiba's motivation oh, that, is that like he Hates war. Like as a kid, like he designed the holographic system later used for dual monsters battles, and then his father goes to Burrow, sold it to the military industrial complex, and he absolutely hated that. And his goal is to make like bunch of Kaiba lands all over the world where kids can go and have fun because you know he's very motivated by his and Mokuba's weary, miserable childhood, and ha- they would find solace by playing games with each other.
0: Mm hmm. Uh, he- 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 hearing you say that out loud, it, it kind of makes me think of like, um, kind of makes me think of like the first Iron Man movie because of uh, Tony Stark's kind of arc in that movie.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. I-, I honestly got the same sort of vibe. I was like, this reminds me <laughs> of Sato Kaiba a little bit.
0: Um. Also, actually, I should put out there if if you haven't listened to our interview with Jason from earlier in the year, please go do that. Like, if if you want to hear more about, um, kind of how Shona Jumped was sort of formed back then, uh, by Viz, uh, a l- lot of really interesting tidbits that he gave in that episode, and uh, I thought was a really great conversation overall. We'll probably leave a link for that in the show notes.
3: I will literally not be here if it wasn't for his work. So, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: huh. But uh, anyway, Ilam, it's your turn.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's my turn. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've been. Uh, I place a card face down and then my turn. No, no, no. But so, yeah, you know, I was also a fan of Yu Gi Oh as a kid. You know, I've got uh, dual madness in my brain, monster influence in my veins. You know, <laughs> I got into Yu Gi Oh. Probably I saw the first episode i saw i believe was the episode with rebecca uh it's like a filler episode but it's interesting to me in retrospect reading the manga because it's clearly based on ryoga otogi trying to get revenge on behalf of his father in the manga. They incorporated that into this filler episode with this little girl trying to get revenge on behalf of her grandfather.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll probably talk about it later. But uh, yeah, they they literally divide up that arc into like three separate plot lines in the anime. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That was
1: really interesting to revisit. And oh, yeah, they split this up. But yeah, so that was the first episode I saw. And then from there, I watched more and more of it on Kids WB, but weekdays and the premieres on weekends, you know, got pretty into it, got bought the cards. And I think my first exposure to the manga was I was at a friend's house and uh, they had an issue of Jump and I read it and the Yu-Gi-Oh! chapter surprised me because there were no card games in it. It was the chapter where uh, Jinochi has gone on this TV show and the producer behind it his scheming to humiliate him and so yugi of course plays this game with him to basically entrap the producer so he can't mess with junochi and that really surprised me because of course yugi really punishes this dude and again no card games it was had a very more dark tone and it was just very different from the Yu-Gi-Oh! I was used to. And at some point, I also discovered, you know, the first chapter of Yu-Gi-Oh! where, of course, he plays the money knife game with the bully and and stuff. So, yeah, that just intrigued me on the first couple volumes of the series. And so I did read those when I was a kid alongside the Duelist portion. And I would read those... Whenever I would get a chance to go to the library and pick up whatever volumes they had there. So I very clearly remember reading Death T as a kid, that arc, and a bunch of, you know, all the other storylines... And really, though, the last arc, boat in, in the anime manga, eluded me until just a few years ago. Because I, even though I had seen it around, I didn't ever really get a chance to read it. But in anticipation of the uh, Dark Side of Dimensions coming out in the theaters, there was a Whiz manga sale. So I used that as a chance to buy digital copies of those volumes, and then I read that arc for the first time. And I really, really enjoyed it and really kind of gave me a even greater sense of like, this was the, what the team of Yu-Gi-Oh! was all about. This idea of, of understanding and accepting debt and then this bond of friendship and the parting of ways and all that. And that really moved me. And then seeing the film after that also was really emotionally satisfying. But I've always been, you know, a fan of Yu-Gi-Oh! since i was a kid and i've seen the other spin-offs like Yu gx i used to watch a ton when it was airing like weekdays on miguzi back in the day oh man and then when it moved to Tonami saturdays and stuff and then 5ds of course and 5ds was the last one where i've seen a lot of i've only dabbled in zexal arc 5 and Rains, but I don't follow the franchise as closely as I do with Pokemon, but you know, both of those fr- series were like big titans of Saturday mornings back in the day, you know. They were back to back on Kids WB, so both, you know, have very fond place in my heart, and even though I'm definitely more obsessed with Pokemon, like Yu-Gi-Oh, I still try and keep up and fo- try to follow all the latest news and what's happening and of course the original series you know I really really love
0: Yeah for sure um and so yeah I guess that leaves me it's uh it's my turn now I draw um mm-hmm. woohoo but uh <laughs> um so yeah Yu-Gi-Oh is obviously it's a it's a franchise that's very close to my heart even though I I'm I've mostly kind of fallen out of the card game at this point I and see, this, this is where things get kind of fuzzy for me, because I remember I remember catching episodes of it just kind of sporadically where, where wherever it was on TV at the time, either on WB or Cartoon Network. But like, I feel like I I want to say I was already into the series at some point. But I but I want to say I think it was when Yu Gi Oh Pyramid of Light came out that I think that was the point
1: I got oh, into the card man. game. Oh, wow, Yu Gi Oh Pyramid of Light. I saw it in theaters. You saw it in theaters, Brandon? Did you see it in theaters? Absolutely. Yes. Um, we're we talking we're talking about the movie
4: where he fights Anubis. Yes. Yes. yes, yes yeah. That one. Yeah. I yeah I were I never. I never actually I didn't see it in theaters, but I but I I worked on the um the movie comic.
0: oh they I forgot they made that. Oh yeah, that's right.
2: (laughs) Oh boy.
4: Yeah, I so I had access to the script. You know, it's it's amazing that uh I was I was impressed um because apparently we, we we never had any contact with the people who had four kids or Konami. We had a frosty working relationship, right? But um, I, I did talk briefly to the people at Yu-Gi-Oh! Pyramid of Light because I was like, well, some of this ancient Egyptian... There's like, there's like the ancient Egyptian chanting in the, in the thing, right? And I was like, the script, as they, as they wrote it in the script, it sounds really weird. I'm just going to like re... I'm just going to... I'm, I'm like, I'm just going to futz it up. And I said it back to them... And they were like, uh, "They're like, hey, you can't change that. That's authentic ancient Egyptian. We paid. Uh, we paid an tra- ancient Egyptian translator to write that for us." Wow. <laughs>
2: and uh, I'm like, oh, All
4: right. Well, what? You, you. I'm impressed. So, okay. I, so
1: yeah. Sure. Yeah. Hey, dedication.
4: So apparently, that's how uh, that's how archaeologists make money on the side is by you know doing translations, coming up with uh, ancient Egyptian chants for the Yu Gi Oh movie. <laughs> wow <laughs> sounds like a,
0: a well-paying job. oh man jeez. um but no yeah i i think i got into the card game around then just because like like i had to have seen it in theaters because i'm pretty sure i got whatever cards they were passing out when uh when that movie was in theaters or whatever and uh, i think that's when i was that that's when i had to have been like eight or nine at the time maybe 10 actually um, so I would, I, obviously I had no money as a kid, so I would, I would beg my dad to take me to the nearest, uh, GameStop, uh, to, uh, to to buy some cards or whatever, and, uh, I think from there, like, I remember having, I remember having, like, a ton of structured decks, like, I think I got Pegasus's, I got, uh, I got Joey's, which... I also want to say I'm sorry if I switch between Japanese and English names. It's uh, it's
1: going to happen at least a couple times. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially <laughs> for those of us who grew up with the poor kids, duh. Like those names do stick in the memory. Like
0: when I was when I was doing my my tweet thread. Um, i like. I'm sorry. Like, I know his name is Janochi, but he'll always be Joey Wheeler to my heart. So. <laughs> I do
1: like in how in the English version of the manga they do sneak, uh, sneak in Joey as a nickname from time to time. Like when they're playing Monster World, hit J- Joey's a uh, uh, avatar is called Joey. Oh, so. oh. yeah, then, I didn't uh, remember uh, that. Yeah, I
4: think I might have slipped it in once or twice.
0: Yeah, and then Bandit Keith during um, Duelist Kingdom at one point calls him Joey because apparently Jonochi is too hard for an American to pronounce. Oh, um, yeah. well, <laughs> so good. Oh boy. Um, oh
1: my god! Can I just talk about how I love how Bandit Keith is swearing in every oh, speech yes. bubble he says? Like it's censored, <laughs> but I, that just makes it even funnier. It's great. Uh,
4: yeah. Thank you. I had fun doing that. It's not. Li- it's not like that. There. I mean. I'm sorry, I'm a bad editor because I was basically you know, putting that in. With, it wasn't really there in the original manga, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> so actually, yeah, that that's that was something I was gonna ask. Was so
0: I don't know if you remember, but like, because obviously Bandit Keith is American, and so it wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me if like. You know, if he did swear in English or something, like, was was that, oh, yeah. was that something that was in the script, or, like...
4: Um, no, I actually don't, no, it wasn't, I don't believe he actually did any real English, I, no, he didn't, like, say any English swears, as far as I remember, I don't have the Japanese okay. volumes in front of me, but, um, I mean, he, he just said, like, Kisama and stuff, and he was just really okay um i i just decided to have him be swearing constantly i decided to have him be fake swearing constantly um so that was yeah that was just an that was just an editorial decision mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean i love these i love i love these like these times in manga when they have this the stereo, the stereotypical american shows up
1: i uh, is, I, uh yeah i I would generally find that amusing yes and they're always an asshole Yep. always yep. yeah like even nowadays, sometimes you get that sprinkled in. Like there was like this American evil chef in Food Wars. Like last year, that was really funny. <laughs>
0: oh boy, um, but it's just to continue real quick. So, what well, it's it's so weird because obviously, like I enjoyed the anime, you know, growing up, but um, I don't think I actually started watching it week to week until like. Until maybe like near the very end of Battle City. Oh wow! Um, I don't know. It's weird because I feel like I might have seen like a few sporadic episodes, so like I kind of had a gist of what was going on. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean it's weird because like I remember watching uh, what four kids called the Waking the Dragons arc, like week to week. Yeah, the Orykalcos <laughs> arc. Yep. Yeah. Oh man! Which going back to that arc, um, it's not good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> boy. Um but uh yeah like i remember my like be- my, my best friend and i at the time like i think i was like in 5th grade when that <laughs> when that uh when that was on tv but uh I, I i like we would like plan sleepovers and stuff and like i would come over friday night and like we would actively look forward to saturday morning uh watching that part of the tv show yeah um and then i think after that that was around the point where like i kind of dropped off and uh i didn't watch the show again until i think the very final duel with uh yugi and the pharaoh
1: yeah, a lot of people seem to drop off after the Waking the Dragons arc, yeah. and, like during the Casey uh, pre yeah, the before the final arc. Like yeah, that's yeah. that's especially the that's where I ended up and dropping off. Not because I didn't like the show anymore. It's just that I don't know. It's the time slot changed. I wasn't as able to get up on saturday mornings to watch it but i just ended up falling out and missing basically the entire last part of the uh, anime I, even though I, I saw i remember seeing the promos for the final duel i think i watched it but i missed most of the millennium
3: world stuff in the anime
2: mm-hmm.
0: me too
3: i remember finding out that uh oh gx was a thing and then oh, i was yeah. like or yeah. then i was like wait a minute i don't I didn't actually see the ending of the original show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Yu-Gi-Oh
1: GX started on uh, Cartoon Network before I think the series ended. Oh, on KCW. that would
3: you do it. it. Yeah. Oh, that would do it. Yeah. Wow. Wow.
0: I think. Um. I mean, for for me in particular, like I like I remember seeing the like an, an episode or two of the Kaiba Grand Prix or whatever, and I think that was. I think for me in particular, I just had a lot of life stuff going on at that point, so I think that was a big reason why I dropped out because I just didn't have the chance to watch it. Um, but, but in general, I think GX premiering on TV also did not help because I think that's where a lot of my attention went to. Um, because I, I think I watched GX up to the end of the, uh, up to the end of the arc with, uh, with Saito or, uh, I think his name is Sartorius in the dub or whatever. Um, yeah, so I, I watched up to that point and then, uh, I think when 5Ds was becoming a thing, I, I just, I, I think I just kind of fell out of the anime at that point, uh because of the whole meme of uh card games on motorcycles, um, oh yeah, of course, of course,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was cool, so I was watching five d's oh yeah, I loved it,
0: yeah, five d's great uh me me and my friends who were in middle school at the time really thought that was a lame idea, but, <laughs>
1: I, but since then
0: i've i I haven't watched a lot of five d's and that's just because I haven't gotten to it. But like, I'm I am more open to the idea of watching 5ds because I think what my my friend who was making fun of it with me actually ended up watching most of it. And, uh, he, told, he he said good things about it, so like I I'd be willing to give 5ds a chance.
3: Uh, anime anime wise uh, bias here because uh, well, Yu Gi Oh 5ds might be like my favorite anime of all time. Like really uh, number one Ooh. on top. So obviously it's my favorite of the Yu Gi Oh anime. Of course, I still prefer like. The original in manga form, but the original anime has enough like adaptation weirdness. And Five Ds was that the right point in my life for me to be like, yeah, this one's probably my favorite. So I I think it is worth your time knowing that it is sort of a like flawed, weird show with a dumb concept.
2: Mm Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely on my list. Um, but yeah, I think after that, like, I fell out of the card game, and for a while, like, Yu Gi Oh is is something that like I really love even though, like, for, for a bit, I don't know, it's weird, because, like, even though I fell out of the car game, like, it was still always a part of my life, like, I, I don't know about you guys, but, like, you know, at, at one point, I became a huge fan of, um, Little Karibos, like Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged.
3: Oh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, around that and, time. And, uh,
0: I'm, I, I think, for me, that was, uh, like, when the anime had stopped, and, like, when I fell out of the car game, like, that was, like, I think the one thing kind of keeping me, like, interested in the series, um, or at least that was like one way that was still a part of my life and then uh I'm trying to think I think um at some point when I got into high school like i I read through the first six volumes of the of, of the manga I read up to death T initially um like I, I was that shitty kid who uh would come to borders and just kind of read the manga and then leave I wouldn't buy it like I I I would I would buy something at the cafe but I wouldn't I wouldn't buy the book. Um but uh yeah I read I read through most of the beginning that way and I was like, "Oh my god, Yu-Gi-Oh is so cool. It's so edgy and mature or whatever." <laughs> um but uh and then I, I really I think um and like like the franchise is a, is always something I've kind of like thought about. Like I think before I read the manga like in its entirety for the first time, like I kind of saw Yu-Gi-Oh as this like like oh like it's a really really fun dumb card game anime that i really like and now now that i've read the manga like it's it it feels so much more profound to me than that what with like the kinds of themes that uh kazuki takahashi dabbles in and whatnot which we'll get into a little bit but uh i think what really got me back into it was a combination of like the dual links mobile app and then uh and then dark sided dimensions was uh something that like I don't. I don't know. It was just like I, man, Dark Side of Dimension. Seeing that in theaters was like was was an experience. And uh, yeah, boy, totally.
4: (laughs) Let me. Can I ask you all a question? Did you were you aware of Magic the Gathering or Yu Gi Oh first? Yu-Gi-Oh first definitely. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> yes, I'm yeah. not uh, okay.
1: I mean, I also knew of Magic: The Gathering around the same time, but unlike the Yu-Gi-Oh card game, I never ended up playing Magic: The yeah. Gathering. Same, I, same, same,
0: same. I played Magic: The Gathering maybe like once or twice, and I, I think it's fun. But uh, again, at this point, I'm just I'm just not super interested in TCGs at this point anymore. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> honestly,
4: honestly, neither am I. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm I'm old, I'm old so I played Magic: The Gathering like when it came out, and um when I first became aware of Yu-Gi-Oh with some other people at Viz, this is like a couple of years before, um, it was published in Shonano. This is like the late nineties. Other people at Viz were like, Hey, have you seen this stupid, stupid anime? It's just a ripoff of magic. Ugh, you know,
2: <laughs> and uh,
4: Nobody wanted to work on it. Everyone was really down on it. And, um, and finally I was like, fine, I'm volunteer. I'm going to, I'm going to work on, work on Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, I mean, I'm so somebody would have done it, I'm not saying like I'm, you know, I mean, they were going to publish it. I'm not saying like I'm the genius who had the idea to publish Yu-Gi-Oh! But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it is really funny to me how it's pretty obvious that the whole originally dual Monsters is just like him putting magic in, in it under another, in the manga under another name.
1: Abs- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it was originally called Magic and Wizards. So. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> yes.
4: Yeah, I'm glad I was able to get away with that. Um, <laughs> and I, ov- I often wonder whether Kaiba's name is a reference to Wizards of the Coast. Oh, ooh, the only a- thing I can think of is because it's seahorse and it has a the sea in it, but I that's really that's really a stretch. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, point being, uh, obviously we we all love Yu Gi Oh, and that's why we're here to talk about it today. So, yeah. um, I guess we we've been kind of talking a little bit about the beginning of the manga, but like as like I said earlier, like I. I would put this up there with, like, the beginning of Yu Yu Hakusho, where it's, like, it's one of the most experimental beginnings to any jump manga I've read in in recent memory, anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's clear that what the premise was of both of those series changed after a certain point. Mm -hmm. because To reflect what readers were responding to, or what they thought readers would respond to more. Because... I'm pretty sure if Takashi had had his way, the series would have been more varied in terms of the games they played throughout the entirety of its run, and it would be more akin to like the first seven volumes where there are they cycle in and out of these different types of games and you see him try to go back to that after duelist kingdom with dungeon dice monsters but that doesn't last a very long time before he goes back to duel monsters with battle city Mm -hmm. yeah but i really appreciate the variety of games in the first seven volumes and i think that takashi clearly had a lot of fun coming up with you know Some games are very simple. Some games he really thinks out. But more than the games, I think they're an excuse of a way to find just interesting scenarios to place Yugi in trouble. And then try and make the readers think, okay, how is Yugi going to get out of this situation where he's kind of put himself into a corner? And oftentimes the answer is Yugi cheats or (laughs) his enemy or his enemy does something uh shitty and that (laughs) ends up screwing them over like when they are playing some sort of dice game i remember and the idea is that the person who rolls the lowest number wins and so yugi rolls sixes and so the His opponent's like, well, I clearly win because I can't roll higher than obviously. So he throws dice at Yugi's face, but then it splits apart. And so he ends up getting like a seven. And so that's how he
3: loses. That's hilarious. Yes, I love that one.
4: Oh my god, I was gonna say that one too because that was one of my favorite ones. I mean, yeah, it's hit and miss, right? Because he's coming up with some, he's coming up has to come up with a chapter every week. So of course, they're not all gonna be great, but some. But when he does it, when it works,
1: it really
3: works. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. yeah. Uh,
1: and then, like when they're playing Monster World, and like and this is another thing with dice is when Bakura like rolls a super critical like in the last round of the Monster World, and it's like. It's gonna destroy Yugi, but the dice explodes because Good Bakora put his soul into the dice, and so he explodes the dice, and so Yugi uses that excuse. Like even though you, they've seen that Bakura did roll the super critical, it's like no dice, no critical. I'm gonna attack you now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
4: and that mon- the, I love Monster World because, of course, that's I love role playing games, and that's that's the first role playing game like Arc um but i I, and i also love when he's doing and he's showing off these ideas for how to cheat when you're rolling the (laughs) dice And, and he's like well if you the the uh this a ten-sided die, so the highest, the ten, is only on. Um, basically, if you if you roll it the certain way, the dice will never flip over. You will you will double your odds <laughs> of, of winning. And then the other trick is that if it looks like the die is going to stop and the number isn't what you want, you kick the table. You like knee the table so it keeps rolling. <laughs> like yes, I'm sure that would you know that I'm sure that would totally be accepted. in Any like yeah, gaming <laughs> scenario like just flip it, flip the table over. <laughs>
0: Oh boy! Um, I, I think I think I said on Twitter that uh, I I think I would have been very I think I would have been extremely okay with reading at least another volume or two of D and D by Kazuki Takahashi.
3: Oh, absolutely! <laughs> yeah, I mean
1: he kind of brings it back towards the end. Mm-hmm. In a great, which I was not that. expecting at yes. all. Yeah. yeah,
3: it's a great yeah, twist. The, oh, yeah, man. I love the
4: final arc, and it's amazing also how the final arc. Well, I mean the the manga really the fr- i honestly I, i'm i'm happy with the way we split up the manga in the original because the first part with the different random games is so different from the late duelist part and then this la- the millennium world part is also it's just like a complete it's almost like a totally different manga mm-hmm. yeah and it must have taken a lot of cur- a bit of courage in the part of him and the editors to do that because you know there's some readers must have been like must have been like where's the duel monsters because because uh, also yeah you're playing in a world of complete where you completely don't know the rules and it's yeah, and it, you know, and eventually they bring dual monsters into the mo- into into the Millennium World, but I feel they do it in a way that it doesn't seem cheap. It's not like the suddenly the plot yeah. ends and they're like, Yeah, let's play dual monsters instead.
0: Yeah, it doesn't feel shoehorned in.
1: I mean, there's only one real full duel in the Millennium World, and that's Yugi, the good Yugi versus evil Bakura, which is showing off his character growth. Like yeah. he's dueling. Yeah another character without his utter half and he wins through strategy and his own cards so it's a huge character growth moment and that's the only duel the rest of it is just focused on this utter battle system which is basically stands but it's not the card game
3: now um somebody correct me if i'm wrong because it's been a while since i've seen the final arc in the in the anime but i believe they, they sort of like changed the, the system to be a little bit more card gamey, right?
0: Like, I I think they did. Yeah. I I I remember that very vaguely.
1: One major change I know about the anime version is that they have kaiba to go with them into the world of memory. Oh,
3: I didn't even know that. Huh. Yeah. 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 yeah That ends up being a very strange like plot contention thing because uh like the whole storyline of uh the movie Dark Side of Dimensions sort of like revolves around the fact that kaiba was not there for the finale in the manga
1: yeah he didn't get closure with Attems, which is why he's still chasing after a final duel with him yeah
3: in, in the anime he's there which sort of makes that transition from like that plot line into the movie sort of weird where you're like wait i thought you know you, oh you would have thought kaiba was there but oh right in the manga he wasn't so yeah it's a very minor change <laughs>
1: But it's very clear that the movie is ba- is like a sequel to the manga, oh, more yes. so to the anime continue, especially yeah. because yeah. they reference manga things that weren't in the anime. Like ryoga Togi's father is there and they're working like at a hot dog shop now. So like It's very much based on manga things. But also speaking of Dark Side Dimensions, it does actually clarify some things I think Takahashi wasn't able to explore in the final arc that he had set up. Because reading that final arc, I did get a sense that he did at a certain point have to rush through certain story beats and then have to kind of squeeze in things he wanted to do before getting out of it into the final duel. I do think that... Just reading it, I get the sense that the lack of the dual dual monsters did affect the series and how he was able to progress the story in terms of maybe outside pressures. But one thing that he didn't address in the final arc that he had set up was what happened to Shadi, what was Shadi, and what was Bakura's relationship with Shadi. Because in Battle City, there is this moment where Bakura learns that Merrick had encountered Shadi five years ago prior to the story, and Bakura's like, what? But Shadi? But five years ago he was. And in Dark Side of Dimensions, you get the explanation that as a kid, when Ryo Bakura had taken the Millennium Ring and awakened evil Bakura, evil Bakura killed Shadi, and, oh. you know, then took the ring. And so Shadi, throughout the series, wasn't even alive. He was a ghost that was Clinging onto the Millennium Items to protect them and then to help guide the Pharaoh's soul to the afterlife. That makes, actually, that makes a lot more sense, because you're right. I I, I always
4: had forgotten that that wasn't resolved in the manga. And it's true that you kind of expect Shadi to come back. I was really waiting for him to come back for the whole final arc, but he only shows up for, like, one panel as a ghost and fades
1: away. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, he was Hassan. Uh, the whole Babasa Bye- Bye- becomes Hassan, who was actually shot I think was also very confusing. I feel yeah, like it, that, that it, was, it, was uh, kind weird. of squeezing together different ideas that he had. I love
0: when Hassan, like, starts to fade away, and they're like, wait, is that Shadi? And then, like, <laughs> 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 like that was it. <laughs> that was it? Like, yeah. Bye.
1: <laughs> I mean, we know Shadi had disciples, so, like, Babasa being entrusted with Millennium Islands is one thing, but then he becomes Hassan, and, like, Babasa being Hassan is okay, I... They're set up there because you could obviously the imprints of the millennium items on Hassan's body, so you could tell already they're the same person. But then to have it on top of that that it was shoddy, it makes you wonder why wasn't he just shoddy in the first place? Why did we have <laughs> Babasa? He shoddy could have just shown up and been there from the beginning.
4: Yeah, I um, I think that uh, I mean, I yeah, it's, it's interesting how Babasa like, show goes into the millennium mm-hmm. world with them and then vanishes. I and mean, you never see him again. <laughs> yeah. My personal suspicion is that um, people is that he people decided he was too much of a of a stereotype, and they just like decided he would better be better if he never showed his face in the manga again. <laughs> um, so I know I I, I that's just that. my guess. I have no I evidence for that. that. Maybe he did, they just forgot about him. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's very possible.
0: Hmm. Um, but I guess just to kind of I know we're kind of jumping all over the place a little bit, but uh, um, just to kind of go back to the beginning a little bit. Um, I think one of my favorite, um, I think one of my favorite scenarios from from the beginning is probably when they're at the restaurant.
1: Yeah, that's super memorable.
0: And uh, Dark Yugi has to face off against the criminal who escaped from prison or whatever. Yes, oh yeah, oh, that's, and, a good, and yeah. It's, that's a great and, one. And he basically is like, "Okay, we're gonna play a game. You can only use one finger." And it's like, "Okay, well, I'm gonna use my index finger because that's obviously my trigger finger." And then Yugi's like, oh, "I'm gonna use my thumb." And he like lights up his cigarette and just drops the lighter on his uh, uh, on his uh, on his gun hand or whatever. So no, so now he's in a situation where it's like if I shoot my gun, this lighter is gonna fall off my hand and land into this overflowing uh cup of uh, alcohol that I'm trying to drink or whatever. <laughs> and he just
1: sets him on fire. <laughs> You think that the easy solution to that is to put his bottle down and, like, very carefully wipe a- away like all the the alcohol, <laughs> but, or, or at least like move his hand
0: out from over the alcohol.
1: Yeah, like you can't move uh, any other finger. No one said anything about your arm <laughs> or your or your hand.
0: Or yeah, like <laughs> it's it's a good thing this guy's an idiot oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> but um I, I i think i think out of all of them that's like the one i think um uh because actually i'm i'm just remembering i think when uh when i was in high school and i used to i used to kind of head my my high school's anime club i think i remember actually showing this episode of season zero to uh to, oh, yeah. to my club yeah. members and them just being like what the fuck is this is <laughs> you <laughs> yeah.
2: um,
0: even um even our like supervisor our teacher heading helping me head the club was like You sure you sure this is not like too violent or whatever? Like he, he had some misgivings, but still ultimately let me kind of show whatever I want, as long as it didn't have sex, so it's like whatever. Um but yeah, no, like I, I think I think out of the beginning this is like the one that really stands out to me. It's just like, wow, this shit is really violent sometimes. Um that and um <laughs> That in the one where um Yugi and Joey face off against a yo-yo gang.
2: <laughs> yes, the yo-yo. Yeah. Gang. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which um, you know, there are parts of that little mini arc that like should not be as cool as as they are, but like like I think it's like when Joey tries to save Yugi but then like he gets just pelted with all these yo-yos and it's like, you know, it, like it, it's the kind of thing that should be like super silly and it is. But, you know, Joey has this whole thing where it's like, you know, if you're not willing to die for a friend, then, you know, whatever. It's just, it's it's, it's really touching in a weird way. And I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, it's a good character development moment for Joey because he's standing up to Hirotani, his, like, former gang boss leader. You know, he's protecting Yugi, his friend, and you know, standing up to this guy who used to have so much power over him. So it's a really cool moment.
3: I think in in some respects, that's sort of like the strength of the of the themes of Yu-Gi-Oh! that come through very well in the manga, where you have, like, the situations that the characters find themselves in can be, like, off the wall, incredibly ridiculous. But, like, the, the themes and the struggles, you know, that the characters go through are still very relatable.
0: hmm They're still very human. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is which is definitely a strength of uh Takahashi's writing, I think. Um So I, I guess just kind of rounding off the beginning here and kind of maybe transitioning into the rest of the series, um I, I might as well read one of our Twitter comments a little early from our good friend and uh a recurring guest on the show, Buggy at the Ladybug Man, who asks, uh, do you think the franchise could have sustained itself for as long as it did? Had it not switched to focusing almost entirely on dual Monsters, do you think the shift hurt the series or improved it?
3: Oh, that's a good question.
1: Well, I think that just reading the series itself, like I don't think there would have been a Yu-Gi-Oh! franchise if it didn't make that switch to dual Monsters. Mm-hmm. Like reading the early, early, early parts of the series, especially like the first two volumes, you can kind of tell once you get to the shoddy arc at the beginning that there is that felt like a sense okay i need to do something climactic around this moment because there is a chance i might not make it past this these next couple weeks yeah and then right or just a few weeks after the shoddy arc ends you enter into death tea which is a long arc that brings back a previously established character and in you know it seems like a really big push to do one long form, really serious story arc that incorporates all the characters and then focuses on a really uh, compelling and interesting conflict set up from before. And I feel like Dead T the success of that ended up shaping the course of the series. Cause we get 20 weeks of story after that, where we don't have dual monsters, but then we get into Duelist kingdom and that brings back Kaiba that brings back dual monsters and that's what where the what the series really focuses on from there. I really feel that even more so than the card game. I know that oh, it's it's all been said that duel monsters popularity in the manga is why it ended up becoming the focus, but I think more than the game the card game itself, I think it was Kaiba, the the rivalry between Yugi and Kaiba and then how that story I progressed that really ended up shaping kind of like what readers responded to and then what Takashi decided to focus on in terms of type of conflicts and the storytelling from Duelist Kingdom forward
3: Absolutely I think that's a much better answer than I would have had
0: Mhm um per- per- personally speaking I I can't really imagine a world where Yu-Gi-Oh where where dual monsters doesn't doesn't become the focus just because it's like I don't know, like, as much as I enjoy the beginning of the series where it's like Takahashi's just kind of throwing whatever at the wall and seeing what sticks, and also basically just being like, hey, these are the kind of games I like, or whatever. Like, I can't imagine the series going on for as long as it did and still keeping that format, Um, because, I mean, I feel like it would be really easy for him to run out of ideas pretty quickly, Um even even with his varied interests,
2: um,
4: so and I not think very it's satisfying either. But uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, it's okay. But I mean, he he didn't have that many long. He needed to build up to a long arc, right? I mean, to really. Otherwise, it's just like ha ha, you, you beat this guy, ha ha. It, it's like a, it's it's like I'm not a very good superhero comic.
2: You know?
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Yugi needed to have rivals he could compete with, especially. So, you know, bringing back Kaiba and then incorporating Bakura also more and more into the story. And then eventually in Battle City, having him also be a part of playing dual monsters and stuff. You know, I think, like, having those long-term relationships Yugi had with other characters through dual monsters. You know, you could build up upon that and then build on, like, a game... Like, having established this game, he can build upon the rules in a, st- in a satisfying way, which is something that he probably couldn't do if he if the series remained just one-off games that changed from arc to arc.
3: Uh, I, w- I think I would even like to add that it's those aspects of, like, how the story of the manga changed when the card game started becoming the major focus. I think those parts of the storytelling are what have influenced all of the other... Yu-Gi-Oh! spin-off anime going forward and is sort of like, you know, you have all of these long sprawling arcs with, you know, like eccentric and crazy rivals and all of all of that sort of thing. I, I think, you know, those mostly take inspiration from the parts of the manga where like the card games and the relationship between like this huge sprawling cast of characters really comes into play.
1: Yeah, like every Yu-Gi-Oh! series, much like how every Gundam series has their own char, like every Yu-Gi-Oh! series has a Kaiba for the main character, like Chase in GX and Jack in
3: 5Ds, you know? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think that that sort of you know that i i think that very sort of archetypal like yugi kaiba sort of relationship you know the the hero and and anti-hero is yeah definitely something that the franchise going forward after the original sort of kind of uses a lot
0: also i cannot believe we forgot to mention death t like that is oh yeah <laughs> I, it like like that that is probably like the standout arc in the, in the beginning and uh, i i think uh, like i said that that was that was around the point where I kind of got up to and uh, I just I just didn't get back to reading the series for a while after that. But like, I think it was like specifically around the point where they're trapped in the room with all the cubes that I think I I think I ended up leaving off just because that was the end of that volume. But yeah, no, uh, that entire arc is really great. And I think I think if I were if I were reading this week to week, like I could see myself getting bored with reading the more one off chapters again week to week. And then I can see myself getting excited uh, to see the return of Kaiba just because it's like, oh, this is this is a guy that Yugi beat in the beginning. But now he's out for revenge. He's set up this entire death theme park. Like, I, I think I made the joke on Twitter, he's, he, he essentially becomes Jigsaw for a little bit. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's really funny to me how completely Kaiba's character was reworked in Death Teeth, because originally in the, his first introduction, he's just clearly supposed to be a classmate of Yugi's. This whole idea that he's the super rich hair to this mega corporation.
0: And he still goes to school.
1: <laughs> that he yeah, has a mansion and is building his own team parts that's not clearly not hinted at at all in that first encounter with Kaiba but then in that T you have this complete reimagining of the character in a way that just dicks for the rest of the series and his defining force for the franchise Just what like him really spearheading dual monsters b- being a big thing that everybody plays and how conflicts are resolved you know mm-hmm. and thank
4: god i mean considering that he probably didn't expect he would come back thank god that his character design is is okay i mean there's a lot of really goofy looking villains in the first couple oh, yeah. of volumes oh yeah, yeah. i mean he sure. could, have, could have been really Like ugly and dumb looking, and uh, but I mean, he does have a bowl cut, but and uh, you know, but still, you know, they managed to make him very, you know, he manages to become cool.
1: Yeah, they managed to transition him from creepy to more stern looking, but kind of handsome ish, pretty seamlessly. He also manages to grow at least a foot or two in height (laughs) over the course (laughs) of the series. Yes, (laughs) Uh,
0: and he gave him a sweet ass coat too oh yeah, yeah of course <laughs> the code um, is also
3: very iconic
0: very yes um <laughs> but i think i think just beyond like all the stupid death traps that kaiba puts them through um oh and uh but before i go on uh buggy also left us uh left us another comment that i wanted to rehear while we're talking about death T, where he says uh also it was fucked up that the early manga featured a baby killing a man by shitting on him or what
1: that was pretty funny yeah but joji yeah that character just shows up for that arc and never comes back again Uh, he he was funny for for being like kind of like this antagonist within the protagonist group that was like constantly trying to screw them over but then sometimes they could use him for his advantage like in that instance where they beat the old man by having him
0: (laughs) just defecate on him or when um Honda, or uh, Tristan as we know him in the Four Kids dub, uh, you know, kinda uses him to uh take out the two guys in the uh, and the laser tag thing.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. which which is which is single handedly
0: yeah honda's only cool moment in the entire series which no
1: him sacrificing himself to have the others escape the room with the falling rocks and that's then him true. being yeah. left behind he like honda is at his best in the dead T arc he really doesn't get as he much peaks. chances to shine after that <laughs> no cause he's
0: really like the most normal guy out of the entire group really yeah um which there's nothing wrong with that but um and I don't know, maybe, 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 I don't know if this is a, d- a debate we want to have, but, like, I legitimately I've legitimately wondered myself, who is, like, the least interesting character out of the group, either him or uh, Anzu, or uh, Teya.
3: Yeah, um, uh, give or take.
1: I feel like Honda, at least early on, there seemed to ha- be more going for him in terms of being this heroic, more heroic in character. Like, he was always, like, Even in uh, Duelist Kingdom, like, he really wanted to help Kaiba and rescue Mokuba and stuff, so he went off his own to go find where Mokuba was and, you know, rescue his body. Which I thought was a really good, like, character moment for him. Yeah, so, you know, he was a more active character, whereas Anzu... There were times where she had her fun moments, but I feel like she was just not as developed. She didn't get as many chances to be heroic. Yeah. And there yeah. was, it, it just, after a certain point, it was just her fawning after a Tem. And that was basically her character to be the girl. And she's fawning after the protagonist and the there's just a there's a sort of three way love triangle between Yugi, uh her, and atem mm
0: mm-hmm. Which I I love how they kind of address that in, in Duelist Kingdom where like Yugi like feels in it, it really kinda hurts his self esteem, like, oh you only like you only like the Pharaoh and you don't really like like me for me. Like I feel like that's not something they really ever like explore at all in in the in the dual monsters anime so like
1: uh, i feel like it's there because like a lot of that stuff is there the date that they go on the dates where there Yugi yeah he has Anzu go on a date with a tem is there so they kept that stuff in i, I remember from the anime but i i just feel anzu is a very stereotypically written female uh character in yeah. Yu Gi Oh, as part of the protagonist group, but she didn't get as many active moments, which disappointed me. So, but I do appreciate characters like Mai Kujaku and Izuzu. The series does have some good female characters, even though it, they are, even though Anzu herself, as the lead heroine, isn't the most developed.
0: Mm-hmm. I I do appreciate her as, like, the emotional support, at least, but outside of that, yeah, she was never that interesting of a character. Yeah,
1: I mean, it is her idea to do the gesture that is, like, one of the most, you know, important parts of Yu-Gi-Oh! in terms of, like, the emotional connection between the characters, is, like, draw the smiley face on all their hands, and, you know, that's the connection between our protagonist group and... That comes back into play in Duelist Kingdom, and you know the Yugi's friends standing up for him inside of Pe- uh, his mind to prevent Pegasus from peering into his mind. So you know, she ends up, you know, uh, inspiring that emotional connection. I think in the anime, you know, that's why it became like a, a kind of a meme that Teo was always talking about the heart of the cards and friendship and stuff. Yeah, but- yeah. <laughs>
4: the series yeah i mean uh, this that the uh, definitely there's some cool moments like with their with like when the, like when the pegasus fight when all the friends uh, are in this heart and they prevent pegasus from seeing the cards right but uh, the series does kind of have a yamcha syndrome where there's like they have a, they have introduced too many characters and then it, towards the end all they have, get to do is sit around and watch yugi fight and go, oh yugi! man like yeah basically <sighs>
1: Yeah, to me, the biggest example of this is uh, Ryoga Togi, or Duke Devlin, as known in the uh, dub, because oh boy. I like the Dungeon Dice Monsters arc in the manga, uh, especially because, you know, he is a very sympathetic character. You know, he's raised to basically enact revenge on Yugi because, you know, his dad has a grudge against Yugi's grandfather, and then... He's through playing Dungeon Dice monsters. When you you know, he he starts enjoying the game. He doesn't want to fall through with the the grudge, and he just has this moment with his dad. You know, stop showing me this ugly side of you. You know, just let's move on from this. So you know, he's a compelling character in his introduction arc. But then he tags along during Battle City, but he really does absolutely nothing. I I I didn't even notice he was there most of the time. Yeah, he's just there in the background. He doesn't really even get speaking lines after a certain point. And to me, it was most surprising because I remember him being more distinct in the anime. Like, I remember him being, I mean, his characterization, for one thing, is completely different between the anime and the manga because in the anime, he's, de- he's more presented as a super cool character that is super popular at the school. Like, he's like a young prodigy game designer. His whole thing in the anime, his, his reason for wanting to play Yugi in the anime is that he's upset that Yugi beat Pegasus because he he was working with Pegasus to kind of fund dungeon dice monsters and you know spread it over worldwide but Pegasus being defeated means that he no longer is able to do that. So that's why he was upset in the anime. He can't get his venture capital
4: funding. That's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> huh, that <laughs> plotline aged a little bit better than I thought. Huh?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Yeah, and then when he returns in Battle City, like, his reintroduction to the story is saving uh, Tristan and Serenity, and uh, her name's Shizuka in the manga, but, yeah, she she saves them from, like, the rare hunters attacking them, but by throwing, like, dice at them, and then he, like, helps them get away by, like, through his getaway car or something so it's like i remember him being a more cool presented character in the anime but in the manga he's he's definitely more kind of introverted a little bit kind of an emo kid uh, there's a, supposed to be a setup that the reason why he tags along with Honda and the manga to go visit Shizuka and bring her to, to Jinoji is because he wants to learn from Yuki and Friends' example, like the bonds of friendship or whatever. But that really never goes anywhere because he doesn't get any further character development. Yeah. No,
4: nope, not at all. <laughs> it's kind of a shame. Yeah, I
1: really like Bak. I mean,
4: while we're talking about characters that could have been used differently, I really like Bakura. Um, yeah but of course i'm re- awesome. I was really glad that he turned out to be the ultimate villain basically yeah <laughs> yeah i thought that was interesting
1: but, um, i absolutely love when like w- one of the final bosses is a character that's been there the entire time yeah yeah no it worked out
4: great um Although it's interesting, you know that honestly, his his non evil personality is so under underdeveloped. <laughs> I mean, he's he just kind of like this. He's, he, his his non evil personality doesn't get to do anything. He's so sad and so passive, and he
0: has like no agency at all.
1: Yeah, yeah, basically. yeah he can't. After a certain point, like he can't really even defy evil. Bakura. Like the moment he puts the ring back on, in. Duelist Kingdom, when evil Bakura tricks him to put the ring back on to figure out the Dungeon Master's deception of which path to take. Like that's the end of his ability to be his own character, because then Dark Bakura just takes over from there.
4: I like that he's very Bishonen as a character design, but it, it all but it's kind of uh yeah, he's Yeah, no, he's an interesting mixture of, of uh elements that I like and that I don't like so much. But uh Oh uh, Yeah, and that also, speaking of Bakura, he, we have the same thing happening with him that also happens with Marek. Um, yeah. Which is that um, they basically, they're evil. They have a they're they have the good side and they have the good, they're, they're split personality, right? You know, they're, and which of course, let, it's the perfect way to like let you beat the villain without actually, without, you know, killing the character everybody likes because then you just, just be their evil side and their good side lives. But then, you know, but of course their good side doesn't really have anything going for them. So they, you know, (laughs) I guess Malik has a little bit more personality um, in his good side than than Bakara, who's Mm -hmm. never really developed at all.
1: I like the idea of the split personalities in the villains because they're kind of having a conflict within themselves to like give into their villainous impulses or really embrace like what they actually wanted, what they're not actually going to get by giving into their violence and hate. Like, yeah, it's pretty well done. It does.
4: The other kind of main villain, other kind of villain you haven't seen Yu-Gi-Oh! A lot. Well, then apart from just the random jerks, you show up for one chapter. Is like the evil father, right? There's a ton of evil fathers. I was actually I was um, counting them as I was rereading the manga, and of course, <laughs> Jonouchi's father is evil. Kaiba's father is evil. Yuji's oh, yeah. father yep. is evil. Uh, Kaiba in ancient Egypt's father is evil, and Malik's father <laughs> yeah. is evil. They're all like evil, abusive fathers, which of course, of course, do make great villains. But the only problem with them as villains is that you don't want to see their ugly faces on screen that much. <laughs> that much, they're so <laughs> despicable. Um. I don't know. When I was doing reviewing manga, I came up with this theory called the law of conservation of evil, <laughs> where the idea is that, like, you want to have, like, uh, the thing is that if characters are evil, if, if characters are evil but likable, then the readers don't want them to, they, the readers want them to become friends with the hero. They don't want them to really, they don't want them to get their ass kicked completely and die or something or suffer something really humiliating. So they want them to be redeemed, even if they're even if they're like doing all this murderous, awful stuff, like Vegeta or or Kaiba and the Death Tea, You know, they have to become good guys. If they if if they're good looking enough, you know, if they're good looking and cool enough, they have to become good guys. So then the, the evil characters that you can kill or eliminate are either like there's like random weird like evil spirits like that are like don't really. There's like the force of darkness, which is like is Bakura, evil evil Yami Bakura and Yami Malik, um, and then you get to keep the good side. Or there's like they're like characters who are sort of um, they're like old men who nobody is gonna miss, right? Yeah. <laughs> they're, like, yeah. they're like evil old men, but you don't want to actually have them become major characters because they're 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 just kind of gross to have around. So, anyway. <laughs> anyways, I don't know where I was going with this, but that I, I think you can see that in New Oh.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. It is kind of crazy how many terrible fathers there are throughout the series. Um but uh I was going to mention it a moment earlier cuz I think uh I think one of the things I really appreciate about the Yu-Gi-Oh manga as opposed to the anime was that uh and I don't know. I'm I'm kind of sort of rewatching through the anime slowly but surely. I think i I think at this point I'm 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 just about to start uh the filler arc that introduced uh Noah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that incorporates like Kaiba's backstory. We, I remember we clearly have just an episode spent on exploring Kaiba being adopted by Burrow and then the relationship between them, and, uh, culminating in Kaiba taking the company out from under Gozoboro and then Burrow committing suicide and whatnot. So, yeah. I think that arc was kind of like, Mostly written as an excuse to kind of highlight Kaiba more, as well as give other characters who aren't duelist stuff to do. Like Tristan actually does stuff as like a robot monkey in that.
0: I think out of all the filler arcs, that one's probably like the most watchable. Yeah.
1: I also think that Noah is a clever character design because he has green hair, like highlighted <laughs> <Yeah, like didn't laughs> in the way you, you know. zero. <laughs> so that's a neat little throwback. Fun, <laughs> yeah,
0: callback. nice throwback. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was gonna say, um, so. Um, And I don't know if maybe my memory of the of the anime just is kind of hazy, but like, I feel like the Yu-Gi-Oh! manga, I I appreciate how it sort of develops the friendship between, you know, the main cast of characters, because I, I don't know, like, uh, and I think I tweeted about this, like, I feel like in the Duel Monsters anime, like, friendship was, was more of a Deus Ex Machina superpower kind of thing. It didn't really, like, amount to much more than that like i feel- I feel like the, the the way kazuki Takahashi tackles the bonds of friendship between people in in his original manga is way more sincere and it's not like it's it's different than say like um not not to throw shade but it's kind of it's kind of different to how like something like fairy tale kind of tackles this kind of thing you know where it's like you know fairy tale they literally have moments where it's like if we hold hands. Or whatever in a circle and use the power of friendship. We'll all be saved by this. We'll all be saved from this terrible thing that's about to happen from us. Where it's, y- y- Well,
1: I'll disagree with that moment because that moment was like a kind of a show of solidarity. Like they don't know that they're going to survive like uh, the Achnologia's attack there. like no, That's it's just fair, but like I, I still feel stand. like that.
0: Sorry, I still feel like that kind of comes off cheesy to me. I don't know. That might just be me.
1: (laughs) I will say, like, in contrast with the Four Kids version, in the manga, like, the themes of friendship are written a little more delicately. It's not as overwrought as in the anime, where they're constantly talking about heart of cards, and then, you know, the way the series is written in terms of dialogue is not—it doesn't, like, beat your head over the— Beat yourself over the head with the. It's a little message. more.
0: It's a little more subtle.
1: Yeah, and the idea of heart of the cards really isn't in the manga. There's like one instance that sort of alludes to something like that, but this is that was really a four kids kind of a ad- addition that, like, yeah, yeah, you know, they, if you they
3: really ran with it,
1: yeah, if you really believe in the cards that you will win and stuff, but in the you know, it it really is. There is stuff like that in the original manga and the story. Like, you believe in your friends, you place trust that things will go alright, but it's not, it's not written just as plainly as, you know, there is this concept of Heart of the Cards that we always are going to refer to. But it, there is emotional payoff to relationships between characters, which is more the focus. Relationships between characters is how, like, you know, some miraculous victories happen, like Yugi, uh, drawing the card Kaiba gave him during the final battle with Merrick that what is, is it? Allows him to continue surviving against the wing dragon of raw and continue the duel. Yeah, um, yeah, heart
4: of the cards really only show. I mean, they only. I believe they only use that phrase in the manga and when, when Exodia shows up, right? Or maybe, maybe in Death, the first two that and the other. Kyber it's battle. definitely
3: not not nearly as common as it is in the the anime, especially the the English dub. Yeah, no, no kidding. Um, but but I, I think I
0: think the moment that really like uh the, the the moment that i go back to which i also tweeted about was uh during death tea where the, where they're in the cube room and like they're basically trapped or whatever they're still trying to find a way out and like you know you just have this moment where like the characters just have a chance to like really kind of reflect on like you know how how their friendship has grown and like you know b- basically how like the the idea that like friends are supposed to be in a sense people that like really want to like make you sort of reevaluate yourself and kind of change for the better and that's basically the gist of like what joey is saying to yugi where it's like hey look if you weren't here like i wouldn't i wouldn't have learned to like myself i wouldn't have learned to basically be a better person as as someone who used to bully him like relentlessly like i don't know it's just it's just that, that moment i think was the moment where i realized like Wow, like I legitimately actually care about these characters, and I, I feel like I feel like Kazuki Takahashi takes really great care in like how he represents their friendship, uh, in in a in a more in a more subtle, delicate way, as Lum said. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I don't know. I I think I think that's like my favorite overall theme of the series is like how people sort of influence each other through their relationships. Like I I've I've always found that really interesting. 'Cause you know, you, you have you have Yugi's friends and then you have like, you know, unfortunately with Merrick where it's like, you know, unfortunately he, he's lived this life where like, you know, he's he's had to abide by the rules of his clan to protect the Pharaoh's resting place and whatnot. And, you know, that's uh, unfortunately like between that and like the relationship he has with his father, like that really like screws him up. It's it's really unfortunate
1: yeah what kind of grounds merrick and prevents him from giving in to just pure hatred and malice is his relationship with rashid that friendship like the fact that they have this bond of solidarity that they can rely on one another that's what grounds merrick and losing rashid is what allows his dark side to take over and consume him and rashid coming back and reaching out to America is what gives him the will to continue on living and fight back against his dark side and make the choice ultimately to give up his grudge against the pharaoh and so that's just an amazingly satisfying moment that that when he surrenders the end of the duel once he's back in control and gets rid of his dark side which is the manifestation of his hatred and malice and grudge Mm -hmm. and that's really nice and poetic, I thought.
0: For sure. Um, n- not to completely, I guess, derail the conversation, but like we, we've we've kind of talked a lot about the beginning of the series and even kinda talked a lot about Battle City, but uh we haven't really talked about Duelist Kingdom as much, which I think thinking back on my read, I'm going to say that Duelist Kingdom is probably my favorite
3: arc. Or at least it's very it's it's high up there for me. I remember um while I was, uh, while watching the anime, uh, and even growing up as, as like a teenager, I never, I was never really a huge fan of it. But in the manga, it, it's sort of like, it comes together so much better.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah.
3: Like, I, I look back on that arc in the manga version a lot, a lot more, like, uh, fondly, I suppose
1: especially since it's building up on stuff that's come before in the manga rather than in the anime where it's the beginning like this is kind of like the third act to two previous storylines the first kaiba duel the second kaiba duel and then now you're having the the huge culmination of this whole whole Duel Monsters saga by you're you're fighting against the creator of Duel Monsters, and he also possesses a Millennium Item. So now you're meeting another Millennium Item user, and you're really expanding on Duel Monsters a big way, where the rules are becoming more defined. You have more characters with team decks and different strategies. So why why Yu-Gi-Oh really becomes in terms of focusing on Duel Monsters, like Duelist Kingdom really establishes like the tone and the style of storytelling, for sure.
4: Yeah, and there's some great fights in it, of course, to say the obvious. Like, I mean, I love um, in Duelist Volume 5 I love Yugi's third match with Kaiba, which is the one, of course, where Yugi loses. And uh, it's so rare, of course, in a shounen manga for the main character to lose, and it's always interesting to see... um, how they can pull it off in a satisfying way, you know? And I think in that one, it's really, um, that one is really great. Um, yeah. Like that's a duel that
0: like is, th- that really has like a ripple effect throughout the rest of the series. Like that's a, in the, in the final arc, like that's a memory that, you know, a Tem still holds because it's like, you know,
1: yeah, it's kind of traumatic. Because, it's a turning like, point. Yeah, it was like a huge uh, moral conflict. What, should he win and kill Kaiba, or does he lose and then accept not being able to save Yugi's grandpa? So that was a huge, huge quandary for him.
4: Yeah, and it, it distinguishes Yugi from Yami Yugi because Yami Yugi is like, screw it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill him. You <laughs> yeah. know? Yeah, um, like,
0: the um, y- Yami Yugi's, um. Like growth as a character is really interesting, because obviously he starts out so evil because, as we find out later, like you know the 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 way that the millennium items were created um they they were not created through very uh very nice means,
1: I mean they were created through the sacrifice, the genocide of a group yeah. of people, yeah, and so like- so it's
0: be it's because of that that like inherently the all these items are supposed to contain some sort of like and an, an, at least an amount of some sort of like evil presence inside them, which which i think looking back it it makes sense why uh why the pharaoh starts off so sadistic in a way, which i was I was kind of hoping uh. I don't know, like, um, I was kind of confused about that at first, because it's like, man, he's a totally different character from the beginning than he is, like, at the end, but, like, when you, when you take that into consideration, I think it makes more sense.
1: Yeah, it's a gradual evolution, like, the real turning point for the Pharaoh becoming more of a heroic personality in Yugi's body was the encounter with Shadi, really, which kind of opened up the idea of, like, judging, uh, his soul, whether he was worthy to have the lame puzzle, and then, you know, the ideas of good and evil and stuff. And I think you can kind of think about it over the course of the series. Like, the reason why Atem starts off being more of a cruel and sadist and punishing people and then slowly softens up into, like, caring about other people and wanting to save other people like Yugi is because of Yugi's influence and what he cares about that Yugi does, you know care about, want to help other people, even his enemies, because he he does sympathize with them.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not worth killing somebody over a card game.
1: Yeah, I mean, originally, <laughs> a t- Tem comes out as, like, to protect Yugi and what he cares about. And then over the course of the series, as he speaks, starts to understand that Yugi does care about the well-being of other people, too, he also starts caring about that, too.
0: Yeah, well, what's interesting about Duelist Kingdom is that, like, cl- clearly... A-, a tem is a is is a different person compared to when the series still when the series started out but he still has those moments of like 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 he he still ha- he's still very petty and still is able to hold a grudge like especially when it came to uh to fighting a weevil or a haga uh where you know obviously haga like just I appreciate Kazuki Takahashi throwing his Deus Ex, Deus Ex Machina away. Like you know, it would have been so easy to just rely on Exodia for most of these duels, but uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, <laughs> yeah, and but like he, but you know, uh, that really like just sets a fire in a Tem and is like. The first person I am gonna fuck up is this guy. He's on my shit list. (laughs) (laughs) But
1: I think you can also, I think, attend still politicians over the course of the series, people who are cruel and don't at all have like a considerate uh, side to them. Or, like, in Duelist Kingdom, there's the guy who steals my star chips. And then there's of course uh, the duel with the puppet master who impersonates Kaipa. That was creepy. In deck. Oh, like yeah. Like the, in the resolutions of those, that those are people he subjects to shadow game punishments because of their cruelty.
4: It's more like he has, like, he's, his attitude changes. I mean, it's more, at the beginning, he's, like, seen, it's more like he's sadistically enjoying it, like, hee <laughs> hee But then later on, it's more like, he's more like a champion of justice. And if he does, if he does drop the bomb, it's in a very righteous, like, uh, blam way, but it's not, he's not, like, gr- grinning too evilly, you know? Yeah, That's I mean, true. Punish,
1: by punishing these people, in a, in a sense, there's this hope that they might reform and change their Ways. I mean, when he defeats Kaiba in debt T and breaks kind of the the puzzle of his mind, like the idea is that he hopes that Kaiba will pick up the pieces and will kind of find himself the person he used to be again, the person Which he takes was a long before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't quite happen immediately.
0: No, not at all. Um, I guess that's true. I don't know. I I personally read Duelist Kingdom as like attempts like. A tra- transitional phase where he's kind of like he's sort of transitioning out of that sadism and like you said into becoming like that sort of a hero of justice or whatever sort of sort of like a Jotaro figure almost yeah yeah,
3: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: but but yeah that that entire duel with uh with Kaiba before they get into the dual castle or whatever like yeah that's uh that that's that's definitely I think one of the most like impactful moments in the entire series because um, it it just completely breaks Yugi, and then you know, a- Antu has that great speech where it's like, you know, like basically telling Kaiba off, like, you know, you think you're so noble, like, throwing away your life, but at the end of the day, like, you know, you're the one who lost, like, you're the loser here because, you know, you, you shouldn't just throw away your life so, like, willy-nilly like that you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, you kind of understand Kaiba's desperation. Like, he's doing all this to save Mokuba. Yeah. And in his mind, he's like, well, if I lose this duel here... I can't save Mokuba anyway, and I might as well die. So yeah. that's his mindset. So it's a, it's a wrong mindset. It's a very harsh black and white mindset, but you can kind of understand and kind of empathize with where he's coming from and why he's doing this. He's not just doing this to be cruel to Yugi. Like this is kind of how he genuinely feels. If he loses duel, he will just die because he can't save his brother
4: he's not just emotionally manipulating Yugi because he knows he won't kill him. <laughs> you have to assume that otherwise at that point if you think that it becomes annoying yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> um it kind of it kind of makes me think of um my hero academia with uh, midoriya's fight against a uh, general criminal where it's like it, it's a fight where it's like you totally empathize with like where both sides of the conflict are coming from and you really don't want either of them to lose, but like you know, one of them kind of has to give in at the end of the day. Uh, and and I, I, I love conflicts like that personally. So um, I'm surprised we've gone on this long and have not mentioned Pegasus at all. Probably one of the best villains in anything ever.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, very iconic, definitely. I mean, my perception of him is definitely foreign by the English dub. And, you know, I believe eric stewart played him
3: uh darren Uh, dunstan i think yeah i think eric stewart was kaiba
1: oh okay but anyway that performance like so over the top Yugi boy which
0: is which which the surprising thing about me upon watching the japanese version on crunchyroll is that it's really not that far off from how he's portrayed originally
3: oh yeah no like that that was one (laughs) character i think they nailed
1: I mean, he was this over-the-type. Like, he's so inspired by cartoons. He has a toon deck that he. It totally makes sense for him to be this over-the-top, cartoonish personality.
0: Oh man, I I hope one day I'm as rich as Pegasus because, like, when I when I when whenever I get that rich, that's all I'm gonna do is just drink wine, <laughs> eat cheese, and just read comics. That's all I want to do. <laughs> yeah, living the life.
1: Pegasus is an interesting character just because the a huge difference between the manga and anime is that Pegasus survives duelist kingdom whereas in the manga bakura murders him
0: yeah interesting change
1: yeah so he like his survival is also like a huge part of what forms the world of Yu-Gi-Oh gx and beyond because he's still industrial illusions is still around to make duel monsters and make cards and spread that
0: just a little tidbit about um pegasus's um say uh jiro j takasugi who i'm looking up on anime news network right now Literally has had no other roles other than maybe like one other small role in another show besides Pegasus. Like this guy has not done a lot of other work, which I think is interesting. That's a shame because he's he wow. was great in Japanese. I know. I <laughs> I would kill to see him in another role. Not really, but still. I just <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's just he he just brought so much life to that character.
4: Random note, I kept the name the uh,
3: dub name. That's um, that's true. Yes, yeah, uh, I, I remember that. To... Yeah, but Maximilian Pegasus.
4: It just sounded cooler than Pegasus Crawford. I don't know. Crawford <laughs> okay. isn't very That's inspiring. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> Was that the <laughs> only reason? Because
3: it sounded cooler?
4: <laughs> the thing is, back in these days at Viz, I'm sure it's different now, but uh, we, we, we really weren't coordinating at all with, uh, you know, four kids or the other licensors. So, I, you know, I could, I, so I or we could get away with a lot of changes. Um, And, you know, now now, now these things are much more uh, tightly done. I mean, we, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, so. I mean, to to the point where, like, uh, I think uh, Stephen
0: Paul, uh, the translator of One Piece and Samurai 8 for Shona Jump, uh, mentioned recently on an episode of the One Piece podcast that uh, I guess in the dub they use a lot of his like sort of Stephen-isms almost, what, what with calling uh, – uh, th- they, they refer to Trafalgar Law and Stampede as like Traffy with some characters. Like just stuff like that that I guess they do incorporate in the dub from what I hear. Mm-hmm.
3: Interesting. That's um, cool. So
0: yeah, things have definitely changed. But uh, I don't know, like, I might be totally off base here, but like, it was, it's probably a good thing that like, that maybe there w- there wasn't a lot of like interference from four kids because it's like and I, and I and I know you mentioned like there there were some things that you had to censor, but like I don't know, re- reading through the manga through the omnibus editions at least, like it really it really felt like I was getting the original series. Like I, I never felt like it, it never felt like oh this thing feels off or whatever. Like this feels censored. Like it feels pretty it feels pretty untouched. But I don't know, that was just me.
2: Yeah,
4: it pretty much is. I can yeah. give you one or two examples of stuff that was changed um so uh in yugi in duelist volume uh 12 when um yugi's fighting i think pandora is his name the magician guy
3: oh right yeah. that was uh the cross
4: yeah there was originally originally the dark magician is a chain to a cross but um that was too much so we had him. we basically changed we basically expanded the cross out so it's just like a grid yeah okay not, yeah, I yeah i think i do remember more. that um yeah, of course in and then I mean jump, I don't want <laughs> jumping ahead, way all the way to Millennium World, of course there's the um uh, Zork Necrophades and uh has in both the original Japanese and the Viz version has the uh the dragon penis.
2: <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm.
4: But I which I believe they censored in Japanese in the fi- in the new reprints oh, wow. of the wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah.
3: In the reprints. In the reprints the dragon like wraps around oh, as well. Wow. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I mean it's kind of ambiguous. They don't really show him like uh, they don't. It's, it's yeah, they a, don't show. Yeah, don't they? Connects. Don't they like shadow yeah. that yeah. part was... out? I think. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. I, I I think I
0: did notice that at one point. Like this dude just has a dragon for a penis or a snake for a penis or whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh
4: wow! So we do have dragon penis at least. So. <laughs>
3: <laughs> i was going to say um even like further or i guess not even just like uh censorship between like the english release of the manga versus the four kids stuff but i feel like one thing that helps towards making the manga feel more like an authentic experience is uh just like something as simple as like the dialogue where even if it wasn't necessarily like uh to protect kids from whatever or anything you know the four kids version you know like there's a lot of You know, like jokes added and there's lots of sort of changes to the characterization, you know, you know, like everybody tends to be a bit more like, I guess, like, I don't want to say like like a caricature, maybe like a kind of exaggerated from how they are in Japanese and in the manga. And so I feel like the manga being much more of a straight closer to a straightforward translation, it feels closer to how those characters like actually are.
2: Mm -hmm. Thank
0: you. There, There were there were. Yeah, I I totally agree there there were there were very, very, very few instances, I think really just one actually where where like maybe one line of dialogue might have taken me out of the series a little bit. And I think it's actually during Death T where uh, and I tweeted about this moment where um, Yugi's on the ground. I forget for whatever reason. And uh, Joey comes up and goes, hey, you need some you need your insulin or something,
4: (laughs) which which I
0: thought was a very weird moment. But. Wait, was
4: that in the manga? Yeah,
0: yeah. It's during it's during death tea.
4: Oh, I don't remember. Gosh, I have to say, I um, that's one of the like few volumes that I don't have in front of me, and I don't remember that line. So <laughs> I don't know how that got in there. Um, my my brother has. I mean, you know, My brother is diabetic, and that doesn't sound like something I would just. I uh, just added the joke, so I don't know why. Uh, uh, yeah, you got me. <laughs> I'm afraid I don't. Remember. Yeah, that that that's like that's like
0: I think like the one really weird line that like I said that where i had to kind of sit there and be like okay that's weird moving on like every everything else is pretty it, 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 like uh, consistent
4: like mm-hmm, yeah. yeah i have to look at the originals t- yeah i that can't be in the original japanese i want that's really strange yeah i don't know <laughs> but I, I guess i have to take responsibility for it yeah the translation of, i have to say when i re- reread the series um uh the english edition for before i came on the show i feel that i um I feel that I, well, to be blunt, I feel that the I my the, the well, it wasn't. Of course, the translator is Anita Sangupta. I, I was I'm just the editor, but I had the final say over what anything was said. I feel that the, the 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 rewrite, I guess, or the the, the scripts the English script gets better um, as it goes on. Oh yeah, I think, for sure. When I look back at some of the early volumes of the original series, pre, I, I feel there's some clunky dialogue that I could have uh, Anita and I could have worked on and improved. But I, I so I, I think as it goes on to do through Duelist and Millennium World, I don't know. I actually feel like I was, um, to be honest, I think I was. Uh, I don't know. I guess I was falling in more and more in love with Yu Gi Oh, so I wanted to do do my best.
3: So, like, timeline-wise, if I if I have my, like, release dates uh, correct, so did Duelist end last out of all of the, like, original Yu-Gi-Oh! arcs?
4: Um, yeah, or or, or end wait. last
3: as far as English publication is concerned? Yeah.
4: Oh, well, hold on. Let me check, because I have the volumes in front of me, and I can just look at the uh, publication dates. mean, um, if, if that's the
3: case, I think that uh, end of Duelist, I think, is, like, definitely when things... I, I no, can tell... Um,
4: it was actually... Uh... Uh, Millennium World ended last. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah. it was only but, by a difference of like a year. Millennium World, was the last volume, was published in two thousand eight, and Duelist in two thousand seven.
3: Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because I, I thought around the end of both of those runs, I definitely felt like that the uh, the writing was was probably when it was at the at its best, at its most. I I, I could tell the staff was really getting into the groove.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: I don't. I, yeah, I take full responsibility, but I, for some reason, I was. Um, yeah, I think that the original um, the early volumes of you. The thing is, when you well speaking as a, of course, you know, it's my job not as a tra- as an editor and a trans- and a translator. It's your job to make it not to make it good, not make this happen. But I felt that I was just, um, I mean, some of the translate sometimes the translations would be a little, a little too literal or clunky or awkward, and um, you know, uh, as the editor, one of my jobs was to just smooth them over and to not not and hopefully not totally rewrite it. Like so, it's just like some random joke about you know something some, um uh, someone at four kids that so was funny or whatever but um you know just to make it sound right and not like a not awkward and um you know i i feel i uh and if i didn't always succeed in that it's it's my it's you know it's on me but i i feel like i i when i reread it i felt i, I at the very beginning there's some points where i'm like oh but then I, I think <laughs> it, hopefully i got better as i went on so. hmm i could
0: see that um I think one of the one of the few other instances that I think kind of caught my attention that I thought was like, um, I, I don't I don't I don't know what you would call it, and I, I don't want to say like bad, but it's just like, um, and and I
4: take it, go for it, <laughs> and um,
0: I, so something I just thought was kind of uh, just kind of interesting, like, and and uh, look, I I don't know anything about lettering, so maybe I'm totally off base, but like. I think that there were a couple instances near the end of the uh, the Millennium World arc where, I think it was especially around the point where the where they're all fighting Zork, and uh, you would have moments where, like, uh, either they would shout, like, attack names or, like, there'd be certain pieces of dialogue that, like, aren't in speech bubbles, but, like, you could t- clearly tell they're, like, kind of rewritten over the art. And, oh, yeah. And, and, th- and there were certain points where it's, like, you, you have the letters, like, written, um, I want to say vertically, um... Oh. kind of kind of down and like th- there were certain points like that where i thought like all the letters seemed a little squished towards each other a little bit like they they didn't have as much room in between or it, it seemed like someone was really like kind of squashing and squashing and stretching them a little bit i don't know that that could be just me though
4: no no i mean you're right sometimes it doesn't look perfect these are all case-by-case situations the yeah main problem one of the main problems um Design-wise, of course, the Japanese text is vertical, and English is, is horizontal. So you'll get to so the choice of either you, um, you. Well, yeah. The, so there's no really good answer. And, and yeah, but honestly, in some cases, like I find myself looking for ways to rephrase something so that use very not, a lot of very short words, yeah, Just, instead yeah. of long <laughs> words. You know, how many? How can I say this with nothing but with four-letter words? Not you know, or three-letter words. You know, um, but yeah, it's because I mean, and. Um, and Takahashi has a lot of really nice, uh, he has a lot of really great dynamic um, effects and the dynamic word balloon placement.
0: I do appreciate how, um, in terms of the lettering, when it came to doing the English sound effects, like they they still they still feel like Takahashi sound effects. Like you could tell they still keep that flair of his in there, which I yes. appreciate.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yu has a lot of it has a lot of those um, sound effects that are like uh, not really literal, like that are more like dramatic beat sound effects, like a uh, go 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 go. And uh, <laughs> yeah, those were always interesting to uh, you know because there's nothing really like that in. Um, in traditional American comics, yeah, um, yeah, but I, I really, but I, but I liked it a lot. I mean, I love a, I love a, good, I love a good, I love a good dawn or
0: whatever. Oh yeah, me too. Um, and and I, and I just want to say, like th- these are these are all really just like nitpicks. Like for for the most part, like I think this release in ter- in terms of like a lot of Viz's early stuff, I think like like from from around that time, I think is like the most consistent.
3: Yeah. It holds up in a lot of areas. Yeah, I agree. I, as a letterer,
4: I agree. <laughs> um, you know, so Brandon, you know that the very beginning of Yu Gi Oh, like the first couple of volumes, it's le- letterer, letter this will this will uh, horrify you. The the first couple of volumes, you know, were done uh analog. That was before uh, we had uh, digital
3: files. I'm not surprised to hear that, but that kills me all the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: But I mean that also. I think that also some of the, the dial. I think to be blunt, the lettering wasn't as good for that reason because uh, it's just so much. This is we're talking people, um, and I think I already talked about this in the Shana Jump podcast. that people, the letterers are literally using whiteout and stuff and pasting, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. pasting <laughs> word or or, or redrawing where you know. The sound effects mm-hmm. over the paper, so um it looks. It's hard to. It's hard to make it look good. I'm sure. I mean, I. I think. I think for the most part, you guys
0: succeeded because it's like it still. It still reads very well, and like it still. It still looks like a very clean, professional release, in my opinion. So,
2: oh, sweet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> sweet, yeah. The tr- the letterer was well, okay. It was Kelly Han in the original Yu-Gi-Oh. Sorry, I'm just gonna start renaming people. No, no, it, no it problem. Kelly Hand for the entire series. Hold on, just a second. She has a lot of she was doing a lot of oh no eric er... oh and it was eric urbiz for Duelist. okay right okay and kelly hand did millennium world and original it it must
0: it must have been hard to like you know when when you're releasing like three different parts of the of the series at once like to try to make things look consistent in between all three of them
3: oh yeah definitely
4: yeah i don't know if we succeeded um <laughs> but... I, I
0: i think so anyway um I just I just can't imagine like how much work that was doing all three of these at once. Um,
3: Absolutely,
0: but um, I guess just to just to kind of get back to Duels Kingdom a little bit, like um, I I think I don't know, like I was kind of thinking to myself, like if Yu Gi Oh for some reason had to end before Battle City, like I I feel like a, aside from a few like loose ends that obviously will uh I or or like setups for like later on that they need to tie up like. Uh, I don't know, like if if Yu Gi Oh had to end, I think Duelist Kingdom would have been a, a like a sufficient ending point because it really it really feels like everything that has happened in the series beforehand really culminates in this arc.
1: Yeah, I mean, you'd still need a resolution to the seven millennium items. That's stuff, that's true, and yeah. then The what dark Yu Gi was, so you you still needed more of that exploration, but there is like a sense of culmination into this idea of the bonds between our protagonists, their power of their friendship, you know, prevailing. Uh the relationship between Yugi and his other side being crucial to the final battle with Pegasus as the way them switching between their personalities is why Pegasus can't read their minds. So them working together is super, super from acting, in a sense, in terms of the, the their relationship developing. And, of course, the end of that arc with Kaiba, you know, it, there's a sense that now is the moment, him being reunited with Mokaba where, like, his he can really start to grow and move beyond his grudges and start to change and stuff. So there is, like, a sense of closure to certain aspects of the series' teams and relationships that have been building up until that point. Yeah,
0: Really, I think the MVP of this arc is Joey. <laughs> yeah. Like, I... <laughs> I, I liked a lot of uh, Yugi's duels just fine, but I think I was more invested in Joey's just because it's like, you know, uh, Joey is not as good at duel monsters as the rest of his friends are, you know? Like, he's a he's very much still a beginner, and you could argue that some of his wins, you know, he kind of wins on luck sometimes, but like...
1: Yeah, I mean, he has a luck-based deck that becomes his team, is that... You know, he has a lot of cards that are based around the idea of luck. And even like Time Wizard's roulette is like a whole luck based thing so that he really embraces that. And especially in his early battle city duels, that becomes especially a noticeable aspect of his dueling style.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I hadn't thought about the luck. Um, I, mean, I
4: remember Time Wizard, of course, but I hadn't thought about the the luck thing. But that's you were totally right.
0: I think, other than Kaiba, he's probably my favorite character. Like, it's really, of course, it's really hard for me to to decide whether I like Kaiba or Joey more because I I, lo- I love them for different reasons. Like Joey, I think, is supposed to be kind of the everyman that uh, you're meant to kind of relate to, in a sense, kind of like uh, kind of like the role that like Usopp fills or something in One Piece.
4: Yes, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> Yeah, you need to have him there, so that, because Yugi, it, it, cause Yugi can't have those moments where he's like, "Oh no, I'm gonna lose," you know. Yami Yugi can't have those moments, anyways, right? But Yeah, you have yeah. that with with you, Joey. Mm-hmm. Joey. And then, and then you have Kaiba,
0: who is just so like stupidly cool. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> like, um, I mean, I think they kind of keep this moment in the Duel Monsters anime too. But like, I love that moment where he's he's arriving at Duelist Kingdom in, in a helicopter. But then his his pilot turns out to be working for Pegasus, tries to assassinate him, and then launches one of his trading cards into the like into his gun to make <laughs> his it. hand. Yeah. yeah. Um. And the, and then he and then he gets mad at the guy for getting blood on his card. <laughs> oh, <so laughs> and then he kicks him out of so the helicopter, <laughs> and he just hijacks the helicopter. It's like it's stuff like that that really makes me love him. He's
4: a very
2: larger yeah.
0: than life kind of character. It's like he's yeah. such a dick, but it's so hard to not like him.
4: Yes, he's super cool. Can I share one of my favorite Joey moments? Sure, please go ahead. That's, yeah, that's in Duelist Volumes fifteen and sixteen, which is which is when they have the Joey is brain controlled by Malik. Oh um, Jesus! Yeah. Oh man, don't and even get me started. When, uh, and that's another sequ- another time, kind of like in the uh, Kaiba uh, when do it, kind of like when Yugi loses to Kaiba. Again, um, Yugi chooses to lose rather than to kill Joey, right? And uh, and that's where that's where and that, of course, has the "I love you" moment too. So, I yeah, Yeah. that that
0: made me cry. I'm not even (laughs) going to front that that duel in particular. I have a weird uh, attachment to because uh, I tweeted about this too. I does anybody remember Game Boy Video? Oh yeah,
1: yeah, I remember. They would have episodes of anime they put on like Game Boy advanced cartridges so there would be like two episodes on these cartridges yeah so i
0: i had i had basically like the second half of this duel uh the last two episodes on game boy video and i remember like watching those so much to the point where like so i'm super familiar with those episodes but like i i, lo- I love that duel I, I hate to keep jumping ahead but like i love that duel in battle city it's probably my favorite one where it's like, you know, you know Yugi is forced to fight one of his friends and probably kill him and then, you know, I I think that duel has some really good moments for Joey cuz they really showcase like how far he's come as as like a person and as a friend to Yugi where and I think the moment that really like cemented it for me was where, you know, Merrick tries to have him throw a piece of the millennium puzzle into the ocean and you know, obviously Joey can't help but think back to the beginning where he did that to Yugi or whatever and like in this moment like he he it like physically hurts him the thought of like doing that to his friend again and he just like he just breaks down and it's it's so heartbreaking um and and yeah like Jason mentioned like the uh where you know Yugi's about to basically lose and he tells Joey that he loves him and it's like yeah this is i ne- i needed to put the book down for a moment i need i needed a break <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a little too much for me Um, but yeah, no, Joey, I think is probably my, like, in terms of, like, a fully realized, like, character arc that he goes through and how much he changes from the beginning, like, I think he is probably my favorite character, um, and I think in Duelist Kingdom, going back to that, like, I think one of my favorite moments with him is where, you know, he's about to fight Bandit Keith and he, he doesn't have his, like, participation card or whatever, so he's about to be disqualified, but then you have Mai who gives him her card or whatever, as like a second chance or whatever, so he's able to fight Bandit Keith. And I'm trying I'm trying to find his line because he had a really good line to Bandit Keith where he's like, I'm gonna send you to hell or whatever. And it's like, ah God, I love that moment so much. Um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, Duel's kingdom, I think, is is probably my favorite. Like it just like I feel like the themes of the series, again, all culminate really well, uh, from the beginning up to that point. And then uh Battle City overall, I I have very mixed feelings on it because I I like I like Battle City just fine, but I also can't help but feel like it it goes on kind of long. Um uh, that might oh, that yeah. might be just me though. It's
1: yeah. I mean, it's the longest arc in the series. It's twice the length of Duelist Kingdom. But I really like the first half before the finals especially yeah, uh, because say so that's too. where you get a lot of interesting battles because having you know done the whole Duelist Kingdom arc now Takashi kind of has a really good sense of like how to really create these interesting situations and so we have the memorable matches like the one with Pandora where the dark magician the relationship Yugi has with the dark magician is like a crucial like element of that but also you have the gimmick of like the chainsaws that are you know buzzing towards their legs as the light they lose life points. Of course, the Yugi versus Genoichi jo- uh, fight, where you know they're hooked to this anchor, and when they lose, they're going to sink into the ocean. So he really comes up with even more interesting ways to tie dual monsters into death games. Yeah, but um, oh, and then there, and there was I,
3: oh, sorry, no, go ahead. I was going to say, and then there was the one where they were uh, Yugi and Kaiba were like like tag teaming up, and they were like on the roof. Uh, and then like that, uh, they'd fall to their death and stuff like that. And so I feel like uh, the early portions of Battle Cities, uh, in particular, definitely uh, Takahashi had a lot of creative ways, like what parts of a city could be used to make <laughs> <laughs> playing a card game very deadly.
2: <laughs>
0: and um, I, I, and you know Joey has good moments in in uh, in that arc too, where uh, I, I I I like I like the moment in particular. I forget which fight it is. I think it's I think it's during his semi-final round with uh with rasheed where you know he makes a point about how like he incorporates like all the rare cards he got from all the people he's beaten into really helping him like uh possibly winning against rasheed like anytime at like time he was able to summon jinzo i think was was like
1: oh yeah that was yeah. like all those were like yeah.
0: legitimately like unexpected and surprising
1: yeah i joey had a great Character arcs throughout Battle City, because in the first half, before he reaches the finals, he's on his own. Like intentionally, he, Yugi he does not have Yugi around him, even for like the emotional support. So it's really showing off how much he's grown from Duelist Kingdom. Like he's facing these challenges, and he really has to rely on his own wits to kind of get himself out of these jams. And he forms like real connections with a lot of the Duelists. He faces like Esperoba and uh
0: for Freaky Fish Guy,
1: Ryota Kajiki, I believe. Yeah, yeah, his name? Yes. that's the same. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Yeah, and those were really satisfying duels. And then, of course, you go into the finals, where I think uh, during the match before they get to like the the last four rounds, where they're all on the like the elevators and they're fighting each other, and the loser is the one who is going to go up fight in the semifinals first. Like he tells Yugi to not hold back against him because he wants to be treated the same like as any of Yugi's other opponents. Yeah, you know, he doesn't want any special treatment. Respect. Yeah, so I thought that was a great moment for him, and he he almost wins against Merrick, oh, God. too. Yeah. Like, oh, mo- if he did oh, not pass out, he could have won, and so it really, really shows his growth, I thought.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Which, uh, I, I will give props to the anime. I recently just f- uh, found that particular clip because i think it was uh I, I think somebody pointed out it was animated by umakoshi yes um uh, which uh, i found that clip and i was like wow yeah actually that's a lot better than it, it that scene was uh, a lot better handled than i think m- most of the stuff in uh, in dual monsters i think um but um but no yeah that that fight was pretty good and then man uh i i, I really think because I, Kaiba at the end of Battle City is really interesting, because, like, n- n- knowing, k- kind of having a vague memory of, like, what happened in, like, the Noah filler arc in the anime, like, I was legitimately wondering, like, how are they going to handle Kaiba's arc in the manga here? And I think he has some really interesting moments, what with, like, you know, Ishizu saying that, you know, if if she can't save Merrick, she's just going to go down with Battle City, which really resonates with Kaiba, because he's been in that same situation before. And uh, that really like sets something off in him to like go help Yugi to basically to to basically test his uh, to test Yugi's fate and you know his ability to basically make miracles happen. So, but yeah, no, I I think Battle City overall. I think again, I think it's good, but I I think I think Duelist Kingdom and like the final arc, I think I think edged it out for me like by a little bit. I think I definitely benefit from being uh, tighter narratives. Yeah, which, um, I mean, unless we have anything else to say about Battle City, I guess just kind of going into the final arc, we kind of talked about it a little bit already, but like, the so, so the Millennium World arc is like, uh, obviously it's like seven volumes, like 60-something chapters, I think, like, I'm... And we kind of mentioned it earlier, but, like, I am kind of surprised that... Uh, and I'm, I'm sure Yu-Gi-Oh! was not just the car game, but, like, the manga, I'm sure, was, like, insanely popular at this point and had its fan base. So, like, I'm not saying, like, oh, well, you know, if this arc wasn't good, they, they cancel it or whatever. But, like, I'm surprised they let this arc go on so long without... Uh, I mean, there, there's some dual monsters in there.
1: You, you definitely see some tension where it's, like... Should we reintroduce Duel Monsters back into this? But I really appreciated that Takahashi kind of stuck to his guns and really left it only towards the end with that Yugi versus Bitcora duel.
3: It would have been really easy for him to just continue to ride out that popularity wave and let the the card game dominate the story for the final arc. But I I think that it it, it takes a a little bit of, of bravery to sort of Disregard something that's been popular for such a huge chunk of the manga, and just say we're not doing this anymore, yeah, we're yeah, going back to our roots a little bit mhm like i I legitimately
0: did not expect that twist where everything happening in the Pharaoh's memories turns out to be this giant tabletop r p g like I thought that was a good twist that like if you really like look back like there are certain things that really like th- there there are little bits of like I would call foreshadowing where it's like. I I think one moment that kind of tipped me off was like, you know, uh, obviously, like uh, all the priests and stuff, like they're, like we mentioned earlier, they're, they're able to actually summon these monsters, like for real. And like you, you see that they have like these, like basically these life gauges that measure how much life force that they have to use for these monsters or whatever. And it's like, it, it's things like that, that like, you know, you can just kind of hand wave and be like, oh, that's kind of weird. But like, that that actually, like, ties into this being, like, a game. Like, you don't realize that's just, like, a... You don't realize that's, like, a game thing. And it's, like... Th- there are, like, little moments like that where you, you look back and you're, like... Oh, like, Takahashi set this up from, like, the beginning of this arc. Which I really appreciate. And it's a good callback to the beginning... Near the beginning of the series, too.
1: It's a good way to explore the past while having the characters from the present be able to actually, you know... Enact change, because obviously they can't go back to the actual past and change what has happened. This is a way for the pharaoh to relive his memories and then find closures through them and then defeat kind of the evil that was lurking within the millennium puzzle and then just kind of purify that like final regret that if we was not they were not able to stamp it out in his time, but they are now in the present because thanks to the the unity of his friends helping him reclaim what he had forgotten and lost. Mm-hmm, but even so. though it's all, a, as it turns out it's all a, a gay illusion. I think
4: we're supposed to we're supposed to believe that it actually did happen in the past. I think I think oh, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: this, <laughs> yeah, these, yeah, like. Because they are from the pharaoh's memories, so like every everything we see happen outside of things that we are noted have been changed from what they were originally supposed to be was how it played out, yeah, like the big moment where things start to diverge is when they defeat bakura when originally bakura you know, lived on for another day. But then Zork Necrophages turns back time to let the events actually play out as they naturally would. And then the second breaking point where things diverge is when Zork is summoned by uh, the wielder of the Millennium Eye, uh, Seto's father in the past. I forget his name, Akin common.
0: Your guess is as good as mine. I have no idea how to pronounce any of these names. I just kind of guessed <laughs>
1: But that's the second breaking point... And that's where we get the revelation... That this is the game of memory... But that's like the Zork's revival... Like from there... Like that's where the course of events change... Because like originally... I think that the way we see things play out... Like the priests who sacrifice their lives... Do all die... And that is kind of at the moment... Where the Pharaoh originally... uh, You know sealed himself... And Zork in the puzzle... But then of course them recovering the Pharaoh's name and then allowing him to kind of piece together the idea to summon uh, Horakiti to de- defeat Zork is, you know, ha- what changes things and then allows the Pharaoh to kind of rid himself of like that lingering regret, as well as the evil of Zork in the puzzle, which is wh- wh- what allows him to finally move on accomplishing, you know, his last task is to rid the world of Zork.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, go- going into this arc cuz I think this was this was the one arc of the series that like I didn't have like a ton of familiarity with but like you know my other friends who are also into Yu-Gi-Oh through the card game and the anime more specifically like you know they they're they're pretty like I'm not obsessed but like they had an interest in like the lore or whatever which I was always really interested in learning as well but um I don't know I I had this weird feeling or I had this weird worry that like wh- that when I got to this arc it was basically just going to be all this lore that it was that was just basically going to be explained that it wasn't going to be like that interesting um but it, but this arc turned out to be a lot more interesting than I thought again with with the twist of the of it being a tabletop game and not only that but like you know I like stuff like uh I think I tweeted about this too where part of the story becomes you know uh, the Pharaoh chasing after bakura on on horseback, fighting with giant god <laughs> monsters like yeah uh, i, I yeah. thought that was some of the coolest stuff in this arc, um, and then, like we mentioned earlier, we get that duel between Yugi and Dark Bakura, where you really get to see that Yugi throughout this entire time like like he's been getting better at duel monsters, like he's been trying to refine like the strategies in his deck and whatnot to be able to prove to the Pharaoh that you know, he could stand on his own. And, and that, that's something we didn't really mention much throughout the discussion, which uh, I think was one of the things that I thought was interesting about, uh, I, I, I guess in between uh, Duel's Kingdom and Battle City was where, you know, all the characters, specifically like Yugi and Anzu, like they have this, like, you have this ticking clock of like, you know, once we set out on this journey, the, Find the Pharaoh's memories, like like we're gonna be faced with the day soon enough where like we're gonna have to let the Pharaoh go, probably like where like they're they're so afraid of like where this journey's gonna take', them, which I don't feel like I've read a lot of jump manga in particular that really deal with this ticking clock of like you know of you possibly separating from your friends to like basically go off on your own path in life and what or whatever like i feel I feel like that kind of thing isn't tackled in a lot of jump manga,
3: right.
1: Yeah. And it's also a metaphor for kind of accepting debt, uh, especially debt of a loved one. Like there's the scene in the final chapter where like Anzu is calling out to him as he's leaving. It's like, do you have to go? Are you going to leave us behind? Why do you have to leave us behind? I don't understand it. And Junoichi's one saying, you don't have to understand it, Anzu, but you, you have to accept it. very powerful like that i think really speaks to the heart of the the core teams you're right
4: that's so unusual in a a shonen manga um and it really i do i agree that there's a lot of theme of death in the in the arc um and uh i mean it even goes it even creeps into battle into the earlier like battle city parts a lot because there's just so many villains who are like uh they're like the darkness of death is right in front of you and of course it's just hyperbole it's just shown in my dialogue but also then then when they go to the um I think at one point when they're in the millennium world like a uh, Bakura says something like uh, oh if you die in this world it's oblivion or something like Oof. it's almost there to continually talking about about death and yeah that's kind of like what is the final arc of is of um atem accepting death essentially right and um, I mean this is I don't, I, you know this kind of in a, maybe inappropriate psychology but um you know but uh Takahashi's father was actually died around the time this manga was was written Just
2: wow. um, oh.
4: part of the arc uh i don't i remember one of the um i don't i remember hearing this from someone that uh shueisha like yeah he has to take a day a week off because of his uh, his father's died or something Jeez. like that so i think i i i feel there maybe may have been something personal to it also Takahashi's kind of He's kind of old for a shonen manga creator, and I don't mean that as this an insult, but he st- got started kind of late because he didn't. Yeah, not begin until I he actually was-
1: didn't mention it, but uh, Takahashi. You know, he he won a some award for a monk he, ro- he drew when he was twenty, but it took like fourteen years for him to like find success with a weekly serialization. So like he was in his thirties when he started Yu-Gi-Oh! Wow. Yeah, and he wow. would have been
4: in his full mid forties when he was doing Millennium World, yeah. So Wow. So yeah, I don't know. So getting into his uh getting into the uh, like Middle age, like gloomy thoughts. Time, I don't know, but I, I feel that it, I feel it adds. I mean, well, you know, <laughs> I mean, I feel it adds something to the manga. So.
0: Mm, yeah, that that's really interesting. I didn't know any yeah. of that, um, but I think it definitely makes sense. I, I could definitely see how that might have influenced his storytelling and his exploration of the themes of the story and whatnot. So, yeah, but no, yeah, I, I, I think next next to next to Joey's character arc, I think Yugi's is 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 the best one like he really he really grows from this like this really timid kid who had trouble making friends to this person who he has confidence in himself and and uh, I think there's a good moment in um in Dark Side of Dimensions that really uh that really uh shows this too so, so something that like when i when i sat in the theater really got a um really got a reaction out of the audience um where like um, and i wish I, I i don't remember his line word for word but like you know the whole thing in the movie is that kaiba he he like and it's kind of a theme throughout the series too like a lot of the antagonists in Oh don't see yugi as a person they just see him as like a vessel for the pharaoh um, right yeah because yeah. he doesn't have much presence himself unfortunately but uh you know as the series goes on he becomes his own person and he's able to show like hey like you shouldn't count me out i'm just as good as the pharaoh like you know like i can like i have some skill like i can like i can win just as many fights as he can and uh there's i i remember there being a moment in dark side of dimensions where kaiba still kind of sees him as that and you know the whole reason he wants to fight yugi is so that he can fight atem, he doesn't want to fight yugi himself but like you know, Yugi has a great moment where he kind of like tells Kaiba to like, you know, back off. Like, you know, I'm gonna fight Aigami, and then I'm gonna get to you. And Kaiba's just like, okay, fine, whatever. We'll do, we'll yeah, do it yeah, your yeah. way, He's like, I no. guess. Yeah.
2: And yeah. He, he wants
1: a core scene. Like, it's like he Kaiba really wants Yugi to put on the puzzle again so he can summon Tem. And then during the duel, like, it, he interrupts it and it's like he he puts on the puzzle just to show that Tem is gone to just illustrate the point to Kaiba that. Atem is gone, you know, and you need to accept that and let go because he's not going to come back and toward at the end of the movie, symbolically, like atem does appear to and he doesn't say anything which I think is very important to keep in mind, but he some- atem appears and he he save help defeats the uh evil monster basically that uh igami has become because of the ring and then he we see a moment where yugi and Atem just kind of nod at each other like knowing that they don't need to say anything to each other he's gone he's not in this world anymore but the memory yugi's relationship his bond with Atem, you know that will be forever that will live on in his memories and so you know that's I think that's like a. That was super poignant. Oh, yeah.
3: I think there's uh, something about that that I've been, I guess, thinking about for a while now, as like, I guess, Yu Gi Oh! as a franchise, and now it has expanded past the original, but like, you can really tell that Takahashi really values that moment. Uh, you know, at the end of the manga, you know, they have the ceremonial duel, and a Tim's spirit goes onto the afterlife, and that's it.
4: Like, yeah, totally. It's,
3: yeah. It could have been, again, it could have been so easy for him to just, you know, be like, oh, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh! is popular and the original Yu-Gi-Oh! is the most popular incarnation of the franchise. So, you know, like, let's bring him back one more time for, you know. Like, yeah, he, like in
4: Dragon Ball, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or Takahashi really, like, that. that is a moment that he refuses to cheapen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so rare in Shonen for the dead to stay dead. So, like, I super appreciate that about Yu-Gi-Oh! That it really respects debt. I I definitely
0: respect Kazuki Takahashi and just Yu-Gi-Oh in general for, you know, like Yu-Gi-Oh is so different compared to like other card game anime and manga where in in Yu-Gi-Oh's case, I think it I think this is the only case that I know of where it's like, you know, obviously Yu-Gi-Oh did not start off as a manga meant to advertise a card game and it, and it never was. Even even when Duel Monsters became the kind of the gimmick the main gimmick of the series like it was never meant to just advertise a card game and i think it's like the one manga i know of that like accidentally became this giant card game franchise <laughs> which is kind yeah. of amazing like like and I, and i think i don't know like as i rewatch duel monsters like the the duel monsters anime like you know like i uh, the, there's there's still bits i i feel like the spirit of the manga is still there some, sometimes but like there are times where, like, I feel like the dual monsters anime focuses way too much on, like, you know, the specific, like, strategies of the card game and stuff. Like, I, I feel like the card dual monsters in the manga is a lot more straightforward and is a lot easier to follow. And I think it's more interesting to follow because it's to-, to me, um, and maybe this is intentional, I don't know, or maybe I'm just, uh, maybe I'm totally off base, but like, dual monsters I kind of see as, like, an extension of, like, stand battles in JoJo or whatever. Like, I, I, I feel like that's... They're not completely the same thing, but they are kind of similar, and it's like... It, it's like the perfect way to totally not be just that, but still be the kind of battle system where it's like... Okay, it like, it, it, it like forces you to strategize and try to one-up your opponent, which is why I... Which is, like, one of my favorite things about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure in particular, and I think that's carried through brill- brilliantly here.
3: Yeah. And I'll, I'll preface my take by saying that I... I like what the what the Yu-Gi-Oh! franchise where it is now. I do like how they do things, but it is very much like, uh, you know, you're there to promote the card game, so you're there to have like a conflict between two characters where the interactions can feel very, uh, I guess, sort of like mechanical. They get kind of they get really into the minutia of like I'm gonna do this so that I can do this, let can do this, let it do this. Uh, so to the point where um, in uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Reigns, the most recent one, there are characters who can have, like, their turns and their card interactions can take up, like, two-thirds of an episode, where it was just, like, that was just yeah. one character's turn full of mechanical, like, do this, to do this, to do this, to do this, where, uh, yeah, in the original Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, with the more looser rules of the card game, it definitely feels... It feels more like a stand battle. It feels more yeah. like the rules are bendable yeah. to whatever would make the, you know, the the next moment most exciting and uh, you know, interesting. I, I think there are values to both approaches, but it is definitely like that is what the Yu-Gi-Oh! franchise is now is not what it was then.
0: Mm-hmm. That's fair. I, I can agree to that. But no, yeah. Um I mean, needless to say, that final duel between Yugi and Atem like once once Yugi delivers the final blow like Oh, dude. It's emotional.
3: <laughs> it's emotional.
1: Yeah. I mean, the symbolic gesture of Yugi placing in, like, this puzzle box card, Monster Reborn, is that, so that's the card you can't use in the duel. Like, the symbolic gesture of, like, you know, it, it is time for you to move on and accept that the dead can't come back. And, you know, I've accepted that, and I want you to... Uh, i said uh, understand that you know i'm we're we'll be okay and you can move on and that was so emotional and really poignant
0: yeah and i i definitely cried at least once
3: (laughs) yeah i i I, this is something i didn't think about until just now even though i've known this but you know the the japanese uh, name for monster born is like resurrection of the dead the shisha so that 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 makes that moment even more like on the nose like <laughs> i i am literally sealing the resurrection of the dead in inside this you know the millennium puzzle boxes you're done this is it you know it is very thematically poignant moment i feel like
0: but no yeah i i think i think i think the ending's pretty much perfect honestly like yes, I, I agree yeah like it's i, I think in general I I have very little criticism of Yu-Gi-Oh! I think my very few things would be, like... I feel like there are times where... where When it comes to, like, the dialogue and exposition, like, I feel like... I feel like when it comes to restating, like, the purpose of, like, uh, people's, like, motivations and stuff, where it's, like... Where characters are constantly explaining, like, oh, in order to access the Pharaoh's memories, we have to put the Millennium Items in this thing, and then yada. I feel like... Stuff like it's that,
3: weekly shonen manga thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, where it's like there, there are points
0: where it's like you have to constantly like recap people about like what's going on for people who are just kind of jumping in. It's that that kind of stuff I thought was a little repetitive, but like, yeah,
4: uh,
2: um, <laughs> is
0: that, yeah. And then um, I'm trying to think. I think um, I don't know. I, I was I was going to say I'm I'm not. I'm not too super invested in a lot of the female characters in the show but I but I think Lum brought up uh, like obviously my my I think is probably like my favorite one and then um is she My Yeah. And then Ishizu I don't think is a bad character though um I don't know. I, I I feel like she's a little bland.
1: I always thought Ishizu was interesting. I mean, she also doesn't get like it's not like she gets more than one battle, but I think that she's a very interesting presence in the series. I feel like she is like uh her motivations and then are written well all the whole yeah
4: it's a pretty and the whole it's a pretty standard sort of homophilic passively sexist kind of shonen <laughs> <period>. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah i mean there's lots of good there's lots of and i mean it's interesting that they they could they they kind of hint they have this like suggestions that they'll do like this love triangle between yugi and dark yugi and anzu but in the end they're kind of like uh eh, I mean, it's just, it's just not. It's just, there's just no time for it. There's more battles to fight, you know. We have card games to play. Fine. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, of course, there's Joey's sister who is kind of just there to be saved, and then there's um, yeah. yeah. And also, then there's the white dragon, the blue eyes white dragon woman. Oh, Kisara, oh, yeah, Kisara. Yeah. yeah, in yeah. that yeah. arc, who is all, who is kind of uh, there's there, to kind of also there to sacrifice herself and become, but she gets to become a cool dragon. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's it is what it is. It's yeah, it's not a. It's, I, I don't know uh i wouldn't call it a great female character series
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
4: um actually one 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 thing when it
0: comes to shizuka or serenity um so remind me if i'm incorrect and if i like remember this incorrectly but wasn't there a scene like i guess at the end of joey versus yugi where like you know you have serenity riding in mai's car and um isn't there a scene in the anime where she's taking off her her bandages like right when Joey's about to jump in the ocean?
4: Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Like I actually as as much as I liked that moment in the manga and I still thought it was nice, I think I actually prefer the anime's interpretation of that just a bit more.
4: How does it happen in the anime?
0: She she takes off her uh, her bandages when Joey's about to jump into the ocean. Like she oh, she oh, gets she gets oh, to oh, see okay. she gets to see Joey like do something heroic. Which right. which I think leaves more of an impact personally, but that's just me.
4: No, that's a good that's a good point.
0: So I, I thought that was kind of an interesting change. But um yeah, I guess I guess we should probably start wrapping up here unless there's like anything else that like we really wanna get out there before we do so.
3: Um, what... I Oh go ahead. Oh, <laughs> I was just gonna say one moment and I only remember this fresh in my mind, uh because I reread the first volume of Millennium World. But uh that moment in the first chapter of the volume where uh Muto the Yugi's grandfather is just like Indiana Jonesing it all over the place. Oh my god, yeah, uh, I forgot so that. Oh, yeah. That was that was good. Oh, yeah. I That's a cool moment.
0: Man, I yeah I would not I would not mind at least like a seven chapter miniseries of that, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. That could have been a spin off or at least a an because that was cool. Yeah. Like him the story of him discovering the puzzle could have been an even longer story. It was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: what were you going to say, Lum?
1: Oh, well, I was just going to say I also really enjoyed reading Yu-Gi-Oh! I think this is the first time I read the manga start to finish in chronological order <laughs> instead of instead of reading it piecemeal but uh, like I did when I was a kid, so I, you know, I doing it that way. I could really appreciate just uh, how the storytelling develops and uh, how the relationships between characters develops. And I think that ultimately, what I really love about Yu Gi Oh is the relations between the characters, especially you know Yu Gi, Jonoichi, Kaiba, are great, are really well developed characters. Dark Bakura, I still love as a villain because I love villains who are always around the heroes and just scheming in the background like consistently until like at the end their plans finally come to fruition so I love that about Bakura so much and overall I really find the series' core teams like of the balance between life and death accepting that uh, the bonds of friendship and how People can change other people for the better, uh, really, really human. And I, I think that these are really kind of, even though the, I think the series actually tackles some pretty complex themes considering that it is a series about card games for most of it. But it, there's honestly more, a lot of depth to Yu-Gi-Oh! that I feel a lot of, that a lot of people kind of underestimate and miss. I think it's an extremely well-written series, and exploration of If I could the... scream
3: that from the rooftops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um,
2: like yeah.
1: the, the battles themselves, like the the duels, like some of them. You know, I, Takahashi is great at coming up with uh, situations and then resolving them. Is is oftentimes, oh, I have this one card that can get us out of the situation. The plot card. But I think that that the it's not. The duels that attract me to the series, I think it's really the conflict behind the duels, the internal conflict between the character and then the external conflict of like, what is uh, the consequence of this duel that these characters are fighting to avoid or uh, the result that the characters want to achieve to like help uh, someone else or prove to themselves that they have grown and, and changed and they, they can accomplish something. Mm-hmm
0: yeah um it's like i said earlier like you know for the longest time like i always remembered Yu Gi Oh as that that dumb anime card game thing or whatever and you know and and that's totally fine but like re- reading the manga really gives me like a whole new appreciation for the series um and and is something that i think is legitimately like worth uh checking out like you know, if you're if you if you're listening to this and you have that same sort of mindset, like, I'm not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but it's like, you know, like, the, there there is a certain depth that the manga has that I don't really think, that I really don't think either of its anime adaptations have as much. It, not that it's not there, but, like...
3: Yeah, I, I definitely think it's, like, filtered a little bit.
0: Yeah, like, like the, the themes and the character relationships, I think, are a lot better explored and a lot more fleshed out and a lot more consistent i think and and yeah like i'm I'm really glad i read through this like this was something i was wanting to read for a long time and i just never had the chance to
3: i'm so glad you did
0: thank you <laughs> um and you know what i mean like i ended up buying all of Oh through the omnibus editions which you know for for as much content as you're getting per volume like i'm looking at the msrp it's like 14.99 Oh, yeah. And, and I'm sure you can find them for even cheaper on places like Amazon or write stuff. Um, or if you want to be even cheaper, like, you can you can literally read the entirety of Yu-Gi-Oh! on the Shonen Jump app for $2. $2 a
3: month is all it takes to read one of my favorite manga of all time. If if you're on the fence, please, 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 please do it.
0: Yeah, and, and I know there are people, I know people, you know, like, including Buggy earlier, who, you know, ha- have sort of, um, they have sort of qualms about, like, how the series is going to be, you know, once the card games become more uh, instrumental. And to that, I have to say, like, I still think reading Yu-Gi-Oh! past the point of Duel's Kingdom is it's so worth it.
3: It is. I,
0: yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, like the first seven volumes I totally get, like, are probably more interesting in that, like, again, we we have more games to... Uh, like it's it's a lot more experimental, and I see the value in that, and it's part of the reason why I wanted to start reading the manga in particular. But like, even even once the main gimmick of the series becomes more established, like it's like we said, like it's it's not it doesn't just become like about card games and nothing else. Like the themes of the story are still there throughout, and are still worth seeing how they unfold. So they don't they don't take a they don't take a backseat. So so I think I think it's uh, I think it's safe to say we all highly recommend Yu Gi Oh. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: so yeah we'll definitely leave links in the show notes for where you can either buy it or read it or whatnot but before we round off we we do have a few twitter questions and stuff we we want to read and actually even before we get back to twitter questions uh i want to read uh i want to read the email that we got oh yeah um from uh ashley which um i'm probably not going to read all of it because it kind of goes over a lot of the stuff we kind of covered a little earlier in the show. Uh, but I, I do want to read at least a few uh, select paragraphs here. Um, so just to kind of start from the middle of Ashley's email here, uh, they say that uh, that I think I'm kind of unique in terms of how I got into Yu-Gi-Oh! since I just got into it this year as an adult. Uh, I started watching a few episodes of The Four kids dub with some friends as a joke, and I don't remember why, but I decided to check out the manga since, uh, since I have a Shonen Jump subscription. I figured, why not? Um, I'm still not super far into the series, since I'm only on the Duel's Kingdom arc, uh, but that's not what uh, interested me most about Yu-Gi-Oh! I really, really loved the first 60 chapters or so before it was exclusively about duel monsters. And I'm just to kind of skip to a little later in the email. Uh, a lot of the early chapters are self-contained, introducing a new character who wants to do harm to yu gi and the gang, and often a new game for them to play. The storylines are held together with a strong focus on poetic and often merciless justice, uh yami as a character is less interested in yugi's well-being as he isn't punishing wrongdoers even if they're literal children <laughs> where the manga really picks up for me is the mini arc in the museum uh i won't talk too much about all the cool things that happen in it but wow it is so intense and just really cool uh when shoddy enters y- uh yami's soul room i knew i was invested uh, the mini-museum arc also continues some really interesting metaphors with the idea of trespassing. Uh, Shoddy punishes the museum director for trespassing on the Divine, uh, which also is a really cool scene, by the way. Um, gets eaten by his own chair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. Uh,
0: in earlier chapters, Yami punishes wrongdoers uh, for trespassing on other souls. Uh, this is such an interesting metaphor, the idea of souls being a space that can be trespassed when mistreating others. And they uh, go on to say that uh, this is where my opinion kind of gets unpopular. Um, I haven't seen all of Yu-Gi-Oh!, uh, but according to all my friends who have, this is the end of all of what I find really interesting about the series. I love the disinterested and morally gray Yami, the fascinating metaphors, and the occasionally disturbing imagery. Uh, I almost mourn what I feel like Yu-Gi-Oh! could have been if it followed these original 60 chapters. Um, later, Yu-Gi-Oh! still has some some of those interesting elements with the Egyptian mythology, but it's still mostly in service of the card game. And then, uh, once we get to the sequel series, this is all dropped in favor of the card game. Don't get me wrong, I like the card game too, but it's not what I like most about Yu Gi Oh! And then they go on to say uh, that's actually why I'm most interested in Zexo in particular, because of the added supernatural elements and dramatic imagery, even though it seems to be the most hated series by the fans. Um, I'd be interested to hear what Brandon thinks about all this as someone who's way more familiar with the franchise than me. And uh, that's basically the end of their email.
3: <laughs> uh, I got I got some hot takes for this. Okay, I, go have ahead, go very, ahead. I have some spicy hot takes for this. Uh, I think I, I'd start by saying that if you're interested in what Yu-Gi-Oh! has to offer in those first 60 or so chapters, I do think that all of the storytelling... Like the card game in you know the latter portions of the original Yu-Gi-Oh! manga, I think are in they are in service of those themes, not the other way around. Like it is, it is still very much you know a manga that deals with like the occult and you know just sort of like little bits and pieces of horror here and there, and you know all, all sorts of like mystery and morally gray decisions and all of, like all of that good stuff. I think is even better as the manga progresses, even if the vehicle through which that is conveyed is the card game. Yeah, but I still think that the card game is like in service of the story, not the story serving the card game.
4: Yeah, exactly. I agree. I agree. I mean, I feel that it's not as it's not as dense once you get into the card game parts because there's not as dense as different stuff. It's not like every episode is like, hey, what they're in this crazy trap room. There's this crazy, you know, it, instead it's more these long but that's just kind of the pacing, right? I mean, it's just like in Dragon Ball. Early on, it's like they're going in one adventure every every week. But then later, it's like fights will take like a volume. But that's I think that's fine. I like that. I, I that lets it, the story breathe, and um, you know, you that really lets the, the dramatic moments become more dramatic because they're not rushed to be finished in in fifty and twenty pages.
3: Yeah, I definitely think that in in the long run, it's more sustainable too. Like. Uh, I, I think Takahashi himself probably realizes at some point that, like, he can't keep creating new games to play every chapter. No, yeah. yeah. Like, that—that that is not um, something sustainable for a long-term manga. And I feel as though those ideas still come through in the form of the card game and the strategies that the characters employ, like it's not as mechanical as the sequel spin-off series where you know it's you know i do this to do that to do that do do that and all of that stuff like it is still i guess like every every character has their unique thing or every duel has their own unique thing to it that still comes through even if they are playing a card game but i think the card game allow like it, it sort of becomes the glue that yeah like, enforces every you know it, it keeps everything else together mm-hmm. I and i think i think Yu-Gi-Oh as far as a manga uh, as far as the original manga is concerned i think that's something that it needed and like wouldn't have been able to survive for very long without
0: it yeah like i feel like Yu-Gi-Oh probably wouldn't have survived if it didn't latch on to dual monsters but at the same time it's like i said earlier like part of the reason i have such a hard time getting through the dual monsters anime is because the anime focuses so much more on the minutiae of the card game to the to to the point where duels will take multiple episodes, and it just gets to the point where, like, yeah, it, it
3: starts to drag.
0: Yeah, it starts to drag, and yeah. it, it just, I I I feel like those are like th- that's what I was afraid the manga was going to be, but it's it's very much not like that. If the if it makes
4: anyone feel better, like you know, like I'm gonna yeah. confess. Oh go ahead. I'm gonna I probably shouldn't confess this, but I've um <laughs> I've I've never played the Yu-Gi-Oh card game. Whoa. Yeah. I've never Not played it. Yeah, I. I mean, I've read. I know the rules. I've looked through many, many stacks of cards. But I. I mean, no, I've never played it. So I have no. <laughs> I have. <laughs> I don't have any interest in collecting Yu-Gi-Oh cards. But I yet I uh, yet I find the manga awesome. So I mean, you know, I, mean, I like other collectible card games. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah. So,
3: um, I, this is sort of a tangent, but I, I want to add this as, as sort of a comment as how I feel about the card game as a whole. Okay. Um, Because I feel like it is somewhat reflective of the card game's place in the manga, where uh, Takahashi, you know, yeah, he designed it to be something that was just for a chapter, just, you know, kind of haha, throw away, you know, just like any of his other ideas. And I feel like there's a lot of design problems in the card game that persist to this day because of those, like, nobody thought you know back in 1999 2000 that this was going to become like a big long-running card game yeah um, and so there's even uh both in anime form and in real life form there's just like a lot of strange aspects of of the game that make a lot of sense when you realize this was not designed to go on for as long as it <laughs> did no <laughs> yeah. yeah i, I <laughs> think yeah, right. I mean,
1: cards like the wing dragon of raw are so broken <laughs> that they can't they that's why they have to be banned in the actual tce
3: yeah the the card game has like mad power creep just because you know they need people to keep buying cards, and how you do that, you make them better than the cards you used to have and it just sort of becomes a mess and the the card the card game as it is now is sort of like playing solitaire, and if you don't win, solitaire on the first turn you lose
0: mm yeah
3: <laughs> so that's that's sort of where it is right now um i actually I'm really interested in answering the second half of that question about like zexel of all of the spinoffs. Mm-hmm. This is this, I, I could I could talk forever about like the glorious weirdness that is the Yu-Gi-Oh! spinoffs, but like
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe we'll have to do episodes on those then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
3: uh, to keep it short, like I think the sooner you realize about the spinoffs is that like the original Yu-Gi-Oh! manga is is sort of a flash in a pan and a sort of a thing that's never going to happen again. Like I think the sooner you accept that, and it Except that, like, the spinoffs are sort of like their own thing, living in a world where they have to sustain the card game, and the card game has to sustain them. There's a lot of, you know, like, there's a lot of weirdness in the storytelling that, like, is just sort of a part of, like, being a fan of the Yu-Gi-Oh! spinoffs. And so I don't, in, in that sense, I don't really think any one of them is better than the other, and they all sort of vaguely reflect how the card game is in real life at their time of airing. And I don't necessarily like all of them have their weird like supernatural just off-the-wall bonkers things and like Zexel is not special for that and it is but if if you're in, at all interested in like the supernatural elements and how they weave themselves into the card games that uh this all, i would say all of the spinoffs are like just strange fascinating beasts on their own and all they're all at least like worth five or ten episodes of your time
2: hmm
0: Look, as as long as we can all agree that GX is the best one. I'm just I'm just kidding.
3: <laughs> I have some people who would agree with you.
0: That's probably also my nostalgia talking because like I I watched a shit ton of GX when I was like literally I think I watched most of that series while I was in middle school. It was it was it was just something I like caught every day when I came home and like I just I loved it so much. I need to revisit that soon. It's all on Crunchyroll now. Yeah. Um,
3: low key, the the GX manga is legit really good. That's what action. I hear, yeah. It, it is it is uh it is still very much like a like modern Yu-Gi-Oh!, you know, card game feeling the story kind of thing, but uh it, it still it still manages to tell like a very I think kind of like personal and touching story that mm-hmm. mm, it's, it's hard to say if I think of it that way in comparison to the. like, I don't know if it has any value because it's so different from the anime. And so I don't know if it's those differences that sort of fuel my love for it. Even though the anime is great, don't get me wrong. Oh, but yeah. It's sort of it. like. Like the spin off manga, I feel like, are interesting in a vacuum, but also more interesting when compared to their anime incarnates because all of the spin off manga are made, uh, I think with the exception of Zexel, they're all made after the anime, like by, by about a year or two. Hmm. And so there's like. You get to see sort of like how the manga artist sort of like picks and chooses different sort of interesting ideas from the anime. And um at least GX I know our GX and five D's are all drawn by uh Takahashi proteges, and so they all have sort of like his input. I I I won't necessarily say like his blessing, but they, they definitely like talk about how there are there are ideas that specifically came from him. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. That, that there, there's there's my plea for people to just read and watch more Yu-Gi-Oh because it's
0: awesome. <laughs> I, I I say I, I would at least recommend GX just because like it's the it's the closest thing to still being kind of related
1: to the original
0: series,
3: right? Because there, there's lots of cameos, yeah, uh, from yeah. The original characters. Like,
1: yeah. I mean, in the very first episode, it's kind of a passing torch moment where Jaden meets Yugi and you know, so the passing torch moment there. Pa- Pegasus shows up. In it, and uh, be- becomes the mentor of one of the characters. So
3: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, oh,
3: and the baddie from uh, the first chapter of the Yu-Gi-Oh manga becomes a cop in Five D's. So that's awesome. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> 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 uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, uh, um, yeah, Ushio. Yeah, he he's a cop in Five D's. Like he's a fairly Major, major recurring character it's just the same guy. <laughs> yeah,
0: I th- I, I, like little karima <laughs> makes a joke about that when when he dabbled in um abridging season zero
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah he's gonna become a cop that rides a motorcycle it's great it's
0: it's pretty it's pretty funny um <laughs> oh wow
4: yeah that's totally him <laughs>
2: <laughs> um,
0: but uh thank you ashley for sending in that email
3: Oh, that was a great email. I'm, I'm glad I, I, I sort of took it over there.
0: <laughs> no, that's so. fine. Um, and, let, and then let's get to our our last two like Twitter things here. So uh, from despair underscore uh, T, what's the best Shadow game in the original manga, and why is it Monster World?
3: <laughs> well, it's not much of a question there. I just I, I just gotta gotta say yes. Like.
0: <laughs> and uh, I I see Jason already agreed. Uh I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no contest
3: no argument for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's really kind of hard to pick a better one than that. I mean, like like I said, like it's like I'm I I have to stress, I am not a DD and d guy and I I don't think I ever will be. It's just not something I'm super interested in personally, even though I I, I listened to one or two podcasts uh, pertaining in D&D. <laughs> um but it, it but again, I would have totally been fine if Takahashi somehow wanted to extend that arc for like another volume or two. Um cuz cuz it was like legitimately really interesting to read. Um, at least i thought yeah yeah no i enjoyed it so so i mean unless we have anything else we like want to mention i I think we're probably all in agreement
1: yeah i mean the other shadow games that i can think of are like the really simple ones or the ones that incorporate dual monsters like again the one with pandora with the chainsaws or whatever Mm -hmm. yeah that's
3: another really good one
1: yeah Yeah. um i guess i i kind of have a soft spot for the one with the five chinese
4: elements but I don't think it's very... Oh, specific. yeah, that's right. the
1: dragon cards. Yeah, yeah.
4: I, I I don't think it's really developed well, but I think it's I think it's kind of an interesting idea. But anyways, that's all. mm mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, And then our
0: last one on Twitter comes from our good friend and recurring host, uh, Wensley Dale Cheddar, uh, who says, uh, the major characters of Yu-Gi-Oh are transported to the world of One Piece and have to establish <laughs> a pirate crew. Who has which position and why... Give three characters a devil fruit.
3: <laughs> oh man! Oh, geez. this is tough. Okay, I got it. I, got, oh, it, I oh, okay. got it. I got. I got one really random idea. Okay. There's um. There's a character in One Piece film Gold. Yeah. Who has the like? She has like the ability to just like I think give and take luck from things. You give that yeah, to Jinochi. yeah. That'd be perfect. Give <laughs> <to laughs> that to Jinochi. Yeah. My boy needs it. Yeah, he really does. <laughs> I randomly just thought of that one.
0: I feel like I mean, obviously if they were to form a pirate crew, either either Kaiba would want to
4: be
3: captain
0: or he wouldn't join at all.
3: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> he's, he's not serving anybody.
4: I think he would have his own boat. I don't even really think he would even agree to be on the same boat. He would <laughs> he would have his own blue eyes white dragon shaped boat.
3: boat yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. They could also probably fly for some reason.
0: I mean, yeah. Let Let's be fair. Um this this dude this dude built a space elevator. I'm not going to put anything past him. Um.
3: And so obviously he doesn't. You know, like three three crewmates is so little for Seto Kaiba. He needs. I think he needs a fully manned pirate crew. I'm
4: yeah, dude with dark glasses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: um, Mokuma would definitely be his first mate. Um, uh, for okay, sure. Of course.
4: Um, so I think on the Yugi on the Yugi boat. Well, obviously Yugi's the captain, but uh, Bakura would be like running the garden or something.
2: Like uh, you know,
4: you know, some kind of like support role. Um, maybe Hondo would be the cook. I don't know why. I just I, c- I could I see that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He's um, probably a
2: good cook. Mm-hmm. Joey's
4: the first mate, clearly, and then I guess the Anzu. Um, I would make her the navigator.
1: Maybe I'm just thinking of one She'd be the dancer. I mean, she's a dancer, so I guess yeah. if they need a dancer on a pirate ship. I mean, Brooke is a musician, so yeah. why not?
3: Oh, a, oh, I like that.
1: Um, I,
0: I can't think of like what other devil fruits I would give the other uh give the other characters. That's a tough one. Uh, can we give a Tim uh the the what is it? Brooke's devil fruit? <laughs> Yeah, okay, I could see that. Or I was going to say um I, I don't I don't think I don't think it's a spoiler for Stampede. It's it's a very light thing, but like cuz there's a character in Stampede that whose literal devil fruit is just making visions of things, maybe may, maybe one of them could have that fruit so that that way they could have an excuse to still play card games.
1: I feel
3: like that's something Kaiba would have.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe. Actually, yeah. I mean, that's his whole thing. is he created the Duelist which makes all of yeah, it'd exactly. so yeah, be perfect for him. <laughs> Actually, for Bakura, a uh, Gecko Moria's power, oh man, that actually yeah. be really good. Yeah, I, I see I can you're see going that. that.
2: That's a really good
1: one. That that would be really good. <laughs> um, Either that or Perona's ghost power, like both Fit.
0: I I could I could see normal Bakura having that power, maybe.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> somehow, if they have still split personalities in the One Piece world, they can have two Devil Fruit powers. Uh, somehow because technically they're two different people in the same body. Look, I mean, if a if a if a gun if a what what was what was it with last two? It
0: wasn't a gun ate a devil fruit. If a gun can eat a devil fruit, I don't know. Maybe spirits can eat it. I don't know.
3: Can a dual disc eat a devil fruit? <laughs> oh my god!
1: The dual disc ate the devil fruit, and that's why it can summon visions. Wow! Oh my gosh!
0: <laughs> That'd be so good. It's a lot more convoluted, <laughs> but it makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Oh man. Um I like the idea of Merrick and the Ishtar family having their own crew just so they could finally be a family. Aww,
2: yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, I
0: didn't yeah. I didn't mention it but I did tweet about it. That that little moment it it's such a small moment where like you know Ishizu mentions how like they can all be a family and like Rashid like you see him kind of like be like, "Oh, oh, we're a family now." And he like kind of has a, like a little tear. Yeah. <laughs> Again, such a small moment, but it was like, man, that really made me happy. <laughs> and he pal- and-, and he's pals with Joey. Yeah. yeah. I wanna see them hang out. <laughs> that's really nice. Um
4: Yeah, he survives, doesn't he? I
2: forgot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> forgot he does. It,
0: yeah. <laughs> um I guess do we have any other answers or
1: not? for me.
0: All right. Well, uh, thank you, Wensleydale, Dale, for uh, sending in that tweet. It's a great question. Very, very good question.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm still trying to think. What would Yugi's double fruit be? Like the heart of the cards, heart
0: of the cards, fruit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry,
0: that's a but cheap answer. But then, what answer.
1: would it do, man?
0: Um, uh, that's a good question. Uh,
1: I don't have a funny answer to that. <laughs> Maybe the devil fruit's power is that it just forces people to play games like the Millennium Puzzle. <laughs> like it forces them to be trapped in this uh, situation that they can't escape from, like uh, the sh- his Shadow Game punishments. Maybe,
0: maybe Yugi should have, or or at least maybe like Yami Yugi should have like Shadow Possession. Maybe. <laughs> Oh, but uh, I think that's about it for all of our feedback. So thank you, everybody, who sent in a tweet or sent us an email. Uh, we really appreciate uh reading those on the show. Uh, stay tuned for the end of the show uh, where you'll get to hear. You know, if, if you don't know where to send us feedback, uh, you'll you'll hear it soon. Uh, but speaking of that, um, I think we're about done here. This was a really great discussion, guys, and I'm I, I really want to give a special thanks to both Brandon and uh, Jason for coming
3: on oh thank you so much it was this was a blast i loved it
4: yeah colton Lum, thank you for having us on this is a lot of fun and brandon it's nice to talk to you
3: yes it's it's, honestly it's an honor i I can't emphasize (laughs) that enough
4: Uh, dude no i mean i'm I'm what hey why don't you tell us what some of the stuff you're lettering right now
3: oh right uh i guess i never said that but um uh i'm letter for a lot of stuff uh right now uh, I'm doing Dragon Ball Super, um, Snow White with the Red Hair, Tokyo Shinobi Squad, uh, Transformers the Manga, which is coming out next year. Wow! Um, yeah. Oh gosh, uh, Dr. Stone Reboot, um, and then some other things like uh, High School Prodigies Have It Easy Even Another World, which is the anime for that's currently airing right now, and honestly, I've just, I've been, I've got so much coming out, just check my Twitter, I'm always talking about the stuff I'm working on, it's a lot. Don't you have a <laughs> website dis- as well? Uh, I haven't updated it in two years, but I do have a website. <laughs> just, just follow me on Twitter and see all the kind of stuff I'm working on.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, uh, I know, letters a lot of really interesting <clears> – <throat> excuse me – a lot of really interesting series, and uh, we, we – uh, it's 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 really hard because, you know, lettering is the kind of thing where you're not really, like, meant to notice it a lot, but, like, we we still really appreciate your work on everything you do on, like, the jump simul pubs and everything else.
3: I appreciate it.
0: And uh, not to give too much away, but ho- hopefully we can like have you on the show, and like we can maybe like kind of talk to you about the lettering process a little bit. That's something we'd be really interested in doing at some point.
3: That would be a lot of fun. Yes, please.
0: All right. So definitely go follow Brandon. Uh, and what was your Twitter again, Brandon?
3: Um, at Brandon Bovia. Uh, that's B R A N D O O N B O V I A. Uh, it's very simple. It's just my name.
0: All right. Cool. Definitely go follow Brandon. Check out all his stuff. Uh, Jason, thank you for coming on. And uh where can the people find you?
4: Oh, well, you can find me on Twitter at mockman, m o c k m a n, uh and on Facebook at mockman press and Instagram at mockman press. And uh and yeah, um I'm mostly doing game and book illustration and uh working on a working on a tabletop role playing game called Dreamland. So uh yeah,
0: um didn't you also do a comic at one point like in, kind of inspired by Yu-Gi-Oh or Oh my
4: god I did yeah I did King of RPGs
3: I remember that
4: Yeah uh, it was called King of RPGs yeah there was two volumes it was written by me and uh illustrated by this guy a friend of mine Victor Howe and uh yeah the plot is uh, it's about one man's quest one to become the greatest dungeon master on earth and uh another guy's quest to uh recover from his crippling uh World of Warcraft addiction
2: um and uh oh
4: and there's a but there's also a split personality yami yugi style situation going on so um so yeah i basically basically it's just it's, uh yes it's basically just me doing yugioh but for
3: role-playing games
0: mm-hmm. um, it does sound interesting i'll have to check and that i out. think
3: that's awesome again <laughs> the best shadow game was <laughs> <laughs> exactly
0: oh, man. yeah we'll, we'll definitely leave a link to that in the show notes as well as well as uh, the rest of your guys stuff again really seriously thank you for coming on this was really great um we'll definitely have to have you guys on in the future for other stuff but uh i think we can get on to the end of the show Alright, special thanks to both Brandon and Jason for coming on the show. I thought we had a really good discussion with the both of them. Uh, some interesting tidbits from Jason and uh, quite the answer to that last uh, question. Or not the last question, but uh, w- uh, the email that we got uh, from uh, from Brandon there. Uh, I know he went really uh, all in with talking about uh, the many spin-offs of, uh, of Yu-Gi-Oh!, which uh, we'll have to find some way to cover those on the show as well, but... Uh, That's for another time. Um, But, yeah, no. uh, Thanks to them for coming on the show. And, uh, yeah, I guess at this point uh, in the show, we should get right into our community shout-out segment. And uh, we have a lot of stuff uh, that I want to get through here. Uh, A lot of Yu-Gi-Oh! stuff in particular. Um, So, first off, I haven't talked about this on the podcast yet, but uh, back in October... I finally got into uh, the sort of Talking Simpsons brand of podcasts uh, hosted by uh, both Bob Mackey and uh, Henry Gilbert, both Talking Simpsons and What a Cartoon. Uh, I'm really enjoying both shows. I'm even a patron at this point. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm really enjoying their stuff so far. Um, but I, I think one of the first things I listened to uh, as far as What a Cartoon uh, goes. It, it wasn't the very first episode, but I think it's like one one of the first like handful of things I listened to was uh, was their episode on on Yu Gi Oh, the very first episode of Duel Monsters, which I thought was interesting considering uh, the both of them were coming from a very fresh perspective.
1: Yeah, I mean, they are late like 30-somethings that basically missed out of the show when it was first running on TV, so this was kind of like the first time like really sitting down to pay attention to it, so it was kind of really fun to listen from that perspective.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah, and uh, I thought it was a very enjoyable episode, um, and uh, they even kind of go over the history of like the anime in particular. I did not know the Duel Monsters anime was supposed to premiere around, like, uh, 2001, <laughs> um, I I thought that was interesting. Um, I, I I definitely got into the anime like a little later than that, but uh, yeah. So I thought that was an interesting tidbit, and then that's that's like the kind of it. That's like just one of the many like interesting things about the history of the anime that uh, they kind of dig into on that episode. And uh, obviously, we'll leave links in the show notes for that. Uh, and they later also did an episode about the first episode of Five D's in particular. Um, that one they had Little Karibo on uh again which I thought was an interesting episode considering um I think I mentioned in the discussion I, I I've I've never watched a lot of five D's. Um I'm I'm I might have to like get on that at some point because again I've I've heard really good things about it actually. Like I, I hear it's surprisingly very enjoyable. hmm So yeah we'll leave links to that as well.
1: That was a good conversation. They kind of definitely went in one when- to made 5D stand out compared to the other Yu-Gi-Oh series in terms of its tone and setting. And also it was a great conversation because Il kind of goes into his history with the series and also how he feels about his impact on the fandom, which was a really fascinating conversation. Mhm. A lot of
0: interesting discussion about like what the differences were between like the original subtitled version and like the and and the dub.
1: Yeah, like the most notable change being that the dub creates a relationship between USA and the cop where there was none in the original.
0: Mm Hmm. So a lot of interesting changes like that, but uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I mean in general, just go listen to uh, the What a Cartoon podcast and Talking Simpsons as well if you're a fan of Simpsons. Uh, they also have a lot of uh, different miniseries on their Patreon. Like they've done full series on like shows like The Critic. Uh. Uh, King of the Hill and Futurama, uh, all, all shows which I really enjoy as well, so um, I can't wait to kind of make my way through those, but uh, speaking of Little Karibo, you know, if, if you haven't watched Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged, you should just do that, like, I, I've been a fan of Little Karibo um, for a very long time, um, I want to say since, like, 2005, 2006?
1: Yeah, I mean, he started the Abridged series in 2006, so you were there from the right from the beginning, it sounds like.
0: Yeah, I was. I think I was there right when he was still kind of in the middle of of Dua's kingdom. Um, but yeah, if if I hadn't mentioned it during your actual discussion, yeah, like I love little Karimo's stuff, and I, you know, like I, especially like what he did with uh, with the Seal of ori Calcos arc. I think that's like some of his funniest oh, yeah. stuff.
2: <laughs>
0: uh. um, so yeah, I mean, if you if you don't want to watch that actual arc in the anime, just just watch the abridged version of it. You'll get you'll probably get more out of it, honestly. Um, but yeah, his stuff is great. Um, and then I guess just to kind of keep the Yu-Gi-Oh stuff going, uh, Allison, our good friend Allison or uh, Meowth on, uh, on Twitter, uh, actually tagged me in a, uh, in a post that, uh, somebody retweeted about, uh, it, basically it was a little thing from, uh, Kazuki Takahashi's Instagram account, uh, where it's essentially a thing he drew where Kaiba fights the coronavirus with a with a 3D model of the blue-eyes white dragon um and uh, it's 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 something you have to see to believe like it's uh, it was a really fun little image uh something to kind of take the edge off in these in these trying times let's just say um and yeah I mean it in in general like if you spend any time on Instagram like you should you should still just follow Kazuki Takahashi cuz uh you know, he does a lot of different, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! drawings and stuff from time to time. And he has a lot of really cool art on his account that uh, people should really be checking out. And uh, speaking of Kazuki Takahashi's art, uh, I don't know if we ever got the chance to talk about this on the show. But uh, uh, Shueisha and Marvel were doing some um, some crossover comics. Um, well, I guess crossover in the sense of uh, Shueisha basically hired some Shonen Jump artists to to basically do their own, like, uh, Marvel comics based off Marvel characters and whatnot. Um, Kazuki Takahashi basically did his own, like, little one-off story featuring uh, Iron Man and Spider-Man called Secret Reverse, which uh, I don't think is available in English, but as we were alerted by our good friend Maxie Bernard, I, I guess apparently you can read a 33-page preview of it on uh, on Bookwalker in particular, um, so, it is all in Japanese, but I mean, like, you know, I think it's still worth, like, flipping through. From what I know about the story, I guess, basically, Iron Man and Spider-Man have to fight this very Yu-Gi-Oh! looking villain in a card game. And that's about as much as I've gathered so far. Uh, Lum, I don't know if you've checked this out at all.
1: I don't think so. so I gotta give a look.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, uh, all I could find was, a like, a preview of this. I'm... I, I was trying to look up because i i i had wondered if like maybe shueisha kind of put all their like uh marvel stuff into one like collection or i'm not really sure how that worked out but um if i can't find anything more than the preview uh, i'll just leave a link for the preview in the show notes for anybody who wants to check that out and m- maybe somebody who can uh who can uh kind of navigate through the japanese book walker better than i can can maybe uh Look up and see if there's like a version of that you could buy on uh, on BookWalker digitally. But uh, either way, it's I thought that was still checking out if you want some new Kazuki Takahashi art. And then I think that's really about it for all the Yu Gi Oh related stuff for now. Um, I guess in terms of uh, non Yu Gi Oh stuff, uh, I just kind of wanted to give a shout out to the One Piece podcast guys who um, I think Zach in particular uploaded this really cool thing on their feed because. Uh, Again, uh, the, the, the coronavirus is a um, obviously a big thing right now, it is unfortunately a pandemic sweeping the nation and a lot of the globe. And, uh, you know, obviously a lot of people have been uh, urging people to really wash their hands for at least 20 seconds just to kind of keep them clean, keep them hygienic. Um, and, uh, Zach uploaded this thing where it's basically a collection of, like, all the, uh, One Piece anime opening and ending themes and just a lot of other, like, One Piece tunes in general. I know there's a lot of stuff from, like, the movies and stuff. He basically uploaded a collection of, like, 20 second samples of, like, all the different songs for people to kind of listen to something and kind of time themselves as they wash their hands. So, it's a helpful little guide and, uh, we'll leave a link to that as well. I just thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, it makes
1: washing hands fun.
0: So again, shout out to the One Piece podcast. But I think that's about it for my stuff. Uh, Lom, I know you have some stuff you want to talk about as well.
1: Yeah, I want to shout out Brandon Shred on his work on the Transformers manga lettering that series where he goes into some of the difficulties he had in retouching the manga because obviously as a series from the 80s it was done analog the lettering and while there were digital files the colors were off so he described kind of the work that took into kind of editing the pages and lettering over them which was really interesting and also on other sections of the book too like other techniques he had to use in terms of lettering the sound effects and touching up the art and stuff, and it was a great tread and it was really cool to see the work documented for a really great new release uh on the subject of A Bridge series, Yu-Gi-Oh! A Bridge and whatnot. Totally Not Mark recently did a trio of videos that went behind the scenes on the history of DBZ A Bridge, of which Little Grimo was also a part of, and they described like his history and his role as Frieza in the second episode of this documentary series. But it was a really great look at kind of the challenges team four star had while working on DBZA and how they grew in terms of their comedic sensibilities over the years and became more comfortable really playing with the characters and making them fully their own and being serious towards the end of the series with those characters. And it was a really great kind of tribute to Dragon Ball Z, that 10-year-long journey the entire team of Team 4-Star took working on it and how it changed over that period of time. And then on the subject of Yu-Gi-Oh! opinions, I want to highlight Kaiser's read-through tread on Yu-Gi-Oh! They are currently towards the end of Battle City right now, but it's been a lot of fun reading their opinions as they're basically going through the manga for the first time in many, many years, reading it from beginning to end, and... They have a lot of strong thoughts, a lot of strong feelings that are a lot of fun to read. And I'll also recommend the Trash and Treasures pod Rai did on Dark Side of Dimensions, which kind of inspired this whole read-through reread of Yu-Gi-Oh! in which Rai and the other Trash and Treasures pod team, you know, watched Dark Side of Dimensions and had fun feelings watching it while trying their best to kind of remember and also being a little confused about things that they kind of half remember from the series because of how steeped in lore that film is of the Yu-Gi-Oh! series. So that's also a lot of fun. So yeah, some other great listens and watches and highlights for you to all go check out.
0: All right, yeah, that was uh, that was that was a lot that we uh, that we uh, suggested out there. But uh, again, we we will have links to all these things we talked about in the show notes, and go check them all out. Especially if you're a fan of Yu Gi Oh and you want to check out some of the more Yu Gi Oh related stuff. But uh, thus, for now, that's the end of our Yu Gi Oh talk. I'm sad to see it go. I wish I could just talk about it forever, but alas, there's other manga out there that we have to cover.
1: I'm sure we'll come back to Yu-Gi-Oh! again. It has never truly left us. Even though the Pharaoh passed on, he still remains in our hearts.
0: This is true. This is true. I- again, as we said at the top of the show, I'll, I'll I'll find an excuse to talk about Yu-Gi-Oh! again, I'm sure. But for now, yeah, that's really going to be about it for uh, the podcast here. Um, as far as what's coming up down the pike line, um, we're still kind of undecided at this point, but, uh, um... But hopefully we'll we'll have something out for you guys. If not next week after this podcast, hopefully the week after that. Um, just kind of just just kind of kind of leave it open there for now. we'll, we'll just kind of see what happens. But uh, uh, thankfully we're um you know we're, we're still working pretty hard on uh, editing some more upcoming podcasts for you guys to listen to, and uh, we'll we'll keep you guys updated. Uh, but for now, uh yeah, I guess we best. We, we better just uh, go ahead and plug our stuff. Uh, Lum, you go first. Where can the can people find you?
1: You can find me at Lum Ramayasha on Twitter. And it's Lum Ramayasha on a variety of places like Animation, Revelation, and Analyst, wherever there's a Lum Ramayasha. That's where you can find me. And you can also read my reviews over at all com. We've got a lot of manga reviews coming in that you can go check out. So keep an eye out for those.
0: All right, definitely go check out all those. And uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm uh, I'm Colton. You could find me uh, at SniperKane323. I also do a few other podcasts uh, as well, all of which you could find links to over at my personal blog at uh, ColtonCorner.WordPress.com. Uh, I have links to shows such as Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast, One Podcast Prevails, and p- pretty much whatever I'm doing currently at the moment. Um again, yeah, that's at Colton And uh as for All Comic and the Podcast, uh, you want to go visit all-comic.com. That's where we post every episode of manga mavericks first, unless you are a patron of ours at patreon.com slash mavericks. If you're a patron, you may have noticed that uh we posted this episode early on our Patreon, uh three days before hopefully it showed up on the main feed. And, uh, you know, that's because, uh, you know, at the $2 level on our Patreon, if you sign up for that, uh, basically you get access to early editions of the podcast, uh, depending on when we have those edited. Uh, And so, yeah, if you want a chance to listen to the podcast early before anyone else, um, you can, uh, again, sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, Real quickly, if you sign up for our $5 tier, we kind of mentioned it a little bit, but uh, currently... Uh, we are doing another Manga Mavericks book club read through this time on Masami Kurumada's Saint Seiya manga. Basically, myself and my good friend Doctor from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcasting Network are going through all of Saint Seiya for the first time. Uh, you can listen to a free preview of uh, basically the the you can listen to the entirety of the first episode, I should say, of that read through on our main feed. Uh, it should be the one before this episode probably, I think, and uh, it, it it's, it's a pretty recent one, um, so basically, if you're unsure of, you know, whether you want to sign up for that in particular, just, just go listen to that, I think you'll enjoy it, and basically, if you want to listen to the rest of it, uh, the rest of our read-through is going to be available exclusively on our Patreon for $5 backers, again, at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, uh, it's really the best way to support us and the podcast of what we do, um and hey, you'll have access to other bonus podcasts that we've uh, recorded throughout the year as well. So there's plenty of content waiting for you. But yeah, I guess as far as all comic goes, uh, you should follow us on Facebook.com/slash all comic or on Twitter.com/slash all comic underscore. Uh, but if you want to follow Manga Mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore Mavericks or on MangaMavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast, especially Twitter. Or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash Manga Mavericks. That's where we post uh, different excerpts of the podcast, splitting news and other reviews and discussions. And, you know, even some exclusive content every once in a while. So uh, you definitely want to go subscribe to there. Again, that's at YouTube.com slash Manga Mavericks. Um, Email us anything at manga mavericks at gmail.com. You know, uh, what do you think about Yu-Gi-Oh! And uh, why do you think it's a good manga? email us anything about like whatever news we talk about any uh anything about like whatever manga you're reading uh just your thoughts on the podcast or really anything related to manga or the podcast just those two things or whatever we'll, we'll read them on the show again that's at at gmail.com. but the most important thing guys is that you subscribe rate and review us on apple podcasts that is uh basically the best place to kind of give us visibility even even if it's a, even if it's a one star rating, that's that's still that still helps us, you know. Um, just give us whatever rating you you think this podcast deserves. Uh, just, just give us the time of day, you know. Um, sounded a little more desperate there than I wanted to, but it's okay. Uh, all right, but that is going to be about it for this episode. And yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, this has been episode one thirteen of the Manga Mavericks podcast on AllComic dot We will see you guys next time for episode 114. Bye, guys.
1: Sayonara.